0: My name is Rod, and I like to party.
1: It's Bristol, baby!
2: Hello, I'm Rico, and I like to party. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. This is episode 400. Mike Davis, my co-host. How's it going, buddy? Going great. Going great. Right here in the Bojangles studio.
3: What's so funny? I just the excitement over 400. Oh. I mean, it. I'm
2: excited about I it. Am yeah, too, we love it. I am too, man. Never thought we'd make yeah. it this far. Hey, if Joe Logano... <laughs> Can celebrate 500 starts. By God, we can celebrate 400 podcasts.
4: I think it's a bigger accomplishment yeah, than 500 starts. I think Lugano's so too. 500, yeah, starts, 500 is not
2: that big of a deal. Goodness gracious. The King has 1,100 starts. Now, when you get up there, then, then you can start bragging yeah, talk about, about that. it. No, yeah. s- <laughs> All right. First off, let's go into some dirty air. Let's do it. Dirty air. You got it. Dirty air is brought to you by Filter Time. There's no better way to deal with dirty air. Then with a filter subscription service that takes care of the hassle and takes that out of buying air filters for your home. They're delivered right to your door. So every time they show up, you know when to change them. Go to filtertime.com and subscribe now.
1: But this is our dirty air.
2: air. So let's go. I actually subscribe and send air filters to myself. Would you believe that?
4: I do believe that, actually.
2: I I mean, I want to know what the experience is like. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
4: I wonder if Blake put a koozie in your box. Blake uh, is it,
2: starting to throw some koozies in yeah. there. I was a little ambitious with the hats. Uh they will not fit in the boxes, but <laughs> koozies will. So you might find a koozie in your box when you open up your next shipment. Um any you know Bristol was a uh great weekend. A lot of great racing, but no. Right. That's there was uh there was some problems right out of the gate um watching the truck race. The uh the big complaint I think about the truck race was that the P J one or application of the P J one had all the trucks running right on the bottom. They never moved off of the bottom of the racetrack. And uh they um they never slowed down. So the trucks ran their fastest laps on, you know, on old tires late in the race as the track got more and more fast, uh with with the temp falling. We saw the same thing happen in the Xfinity race where Noah wins the race on 90-some lap tires. We saw the same thing in the cup race. Brad Keselowski was leading the race on 100-lap tires driving away. Nobody could catch him until uh, the right front tire went down. But um, the tire is, um, is too fast. Mm. So the tire's too good. The tire's too durable. Goodyear, you know, I, Goodyear needs to make the tire where it wears out, where it slows down. That's it. That's pretty much as simple as it gets. What they have done is, uh, I think, with you know, with the PJ one and the abrasiveness of the concrete surface, there's some concern maybe for them to uh, make sure that the tire is durable. Um, and we know that uh, you know they can't take a gamble, right? They can't take a risk on that and show up with a tire that fails or a tire that wears out uh before you know they get to the end of the fuel run basically if that happens they're going to have they're going to get crucified like they were at Indy mm-hmm. when we had all that issues with the tires at Indy years ago that really set a precedent or that changed things for Goodyear when that Indianapolis race happened there was no grace given and uh there was no you know there was if that were to happen again um you know that would probably be pr- even uglier in this day and time mm. uh, cri- yeah. the criticism and the public shaming of Goodyear would be bad so they can't take a chance on that right we ask them all the time man we need the tires to wear out more we need them to slow down what we when we say tire fall off what we mean is the lap time getting slower and slower throughout a run uh we would love to have as much fall off as possible um you know you would go to some tracks and see seconds of fall off like at old atlanta or at darlington and then you'll go to some tracks and not have any because either the surface or the tire is just way too durable so um i think number one they need to change the tire to make the tire wear out at least make the left sides wear out something so the cars slow down The cars start to handle poorly. Um, They're not all running the same speed from the very beginning of the run to the end because that that really, really, really hurts passing. If Mm. your car can run the same lap time on lap one as it can lap 80, it kills the product. And if we didn't have, you know... Unfortunately, like these tire issues that we had in the cup race, they're air pressure-related, camber and caster setting-related. That's not a Goodyear problem. It's not a Goodyear problem. That's a crew chief problem. Yep. Those things and the rack issues, that saved the race. Had we not had those problems, as ugly as they were, uh, as they, you know, they they too are, are, are a point of criticism, if those hadn't happened, that would have been a difficult race to sell and so you know if you do fix the racks and we don't have rack and pinion issues and the and the teams come back and and understand a little bit better on what settings won't blow the right front tire then we got a problem then we got a race where everybody's running the same speed no one can get around each other because they they're all the same hmm. um the truck race was 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 uh was probably the most glaring in that in that fact that they all ran the same speed, they all ran the bottom, they all ran the same line, they all ran the same, you know, you couldn't there wasn't much going on. The Xfinity cars widened the track out a little bit um as they did in in the past there around the middle of stage 2, the track opened up and they went to the middle and then the top. That kind of made that race a little bit more interesting. And um you know, just the just the inexperience and mistakes that the Xfinity guys will make and tend to make get, you know, save those events and make them compelling. Right. Yeah. Sam mayor going through wild on the front straightaway. That's a yellow, um, all those type of things that happen that sort of, you know, po- put a pause to the, to the action and, and bunch to feel back up. That's going to happen in the Xfinity race, just due to the drivers that are, that are competing. But in the cup race, they don't make mistakes and they don't, they don't do, inexperience. You know, they don't do things uh, on on you know, on inexperience and ignorance. And so, you know, if if we don't have those problems with the tires and the racks, we're going to have a pretty damn boring race. And so, hard to follow there too. If mm. it, if you're just going to go green for a long time, right?
5: Yeah, and, yeah.
2: But um, I think that uh, a lot of pressure needs to be put on Goodyear to try to try to really truly understand how they can be a better asset in that situation. Um, they they brought a tire that was great, durable, great tire, but it doesn't put on a good race, mm. plain and simple. Is that the short track problem this car's having? Do you think that that's contributing that's a, largely to it? The Well, you know, at, at Bristol, at Martinsville, the cars are way too fast. There's way too much grip. So the cars can go way too fast through the corner. And a lot of that has to do with the tire and the size of the tire. So we made the tires bigger, we put a bigger contact patch on the ground. On all four corners, you've added more rubber to the to the road. And anytime you put more surface on, you know, tire surface on the racetrack, you're gonna have more grip ability to really go faster in any situation, any scenario. And so this is something that can't really be changed. But in my mind, going to a wider, bigger tire was a massive mistake. Um, With every, but you can't go back, right? Can't go back now, yeah. I guess not. It's all, yeah, we've got the, you know, everybody's paid for the wheels. Goodyear's paid for the engineering and development. There's the brakes and all that stuff that would have to change. It's not going back. But to go to this short sidewall, you know, typically a road course, you know, you know, IMSA style setup for an oval race car was a bad choice in my mind. I would have never. When we went to Goodyear to see the tires being made before they ever were ever were on the racetrack, I thought, why? Why would you want to do this? <laughs> you know, why would you want to make more? Why would you want to put a better, more tire? We're trying to figure out how to get the guys off throttle. Lifting, you know, sliding around, struggling, fighting with these cars, and we're going to make them make, give them a more tire and better, t- you know, give them more grip. Um, it just seemed to be a contrast to what really was trying to be achieved in terms of a product, racing product on the racetrack. So, yes, while the racing has been way better, much more entertaining at the mile and a half, the drivers swear. That they can't pass but i you know we go to watch races at kansas they're passing Mm -hmm. you know um i joke about logano saying you know he'll he'll tell me man i can't we can't pass in this car i'm like well your car can't pass you need your i see other guys cars that are passing but you're you're, you know your car's not being good enough to pass this year um (laughs) well that's really i mean no i got (laughs) you it's the it's the truth you know his cars haven't his cars haven't been what i typically you know what we typically have seen from him in terms of performance right um but i see other guys passing you know driving up through the field and so forth but the racing is really that's that's the that's kind of the the challenge man the racing has really been pretty good at the mile and a half yeah great right oh yeah um not good at the speedways super speedways um, I, although you know you know nascar or tracks might argue that what they see at atlanta and so forth is is great um the short track stuff though is terrifying um how we're going to go back to martinsville and it's going to be the same race we saw there earlier this year i don't know anything that would tell me different possibly it, the the playoffs situations and the urgency to to finish
4: well maybe you know there, there's a there's a bigger urgency but I, at least i'm hoping that's the case. Yeah. At least i'm hoping that contributes to a better race. Yeah. Well, You're no, right, it
2: may not be. Well, nothing tells me that we changed anything that would make the race look different. And that worries me. Selfishly, we were making this big push for, sh- you know, more short tracks, more short tracks, but you can't make that argument when the product on those race tracks is not good. Right. Um so i think that, you know, we need to Really lean on Goodyear. I've been an advocate for Goodyear, but I also have been critical of them in the past. And uh, I've actually had personal service agreements with them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, are our, they are the tire manufacturer for our, for our sport. Uh, and so they don't have, you know, we, we have to appreciate them, take care of them to an extent. But at the same time, we need to expect them. To do things a certain way, right? Hold them responsible to their
4: part of this uh, the sport. I mean that. Yeah, Yeah. nobody would argue that. I don't think they would.
2: Yeah. So um, I think that they could help us in this short, you know, as far as the short track program and making making things a little more uh, a little better as far as the product. The other side of it, obviously, I think, is the car, the under, you know, the 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 downforce created underneath the car and all those things. Um, There's a lot of things that I think that the drivers probably have some great opinions on that would help the short track product. But that track, you know, when, when you, if you go to a short track, if you go to Bristol, going slower through the corner is going to make for a better race, right? Um, lifting, sliding, braking a little bit, all those things are going to give drivers opportunities to challenge each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that adding PJ one, while it does make that bottom groove dominant, It makes the track faster it makes the car have more grip so you can then therefore with more grip go faster Um, it works for but against you know in terms of what type of race we're going to see i could not wait for them to get up off the bottom of the racetrack because i knew that you know they would you know up in the top groove as the rubber builds up they they kind of Slide around up there, and there's some there's some there's some new options and pl- ways to race and pass. But when they're glued to the bottom and gl- and in the glue um, of the PJ1, it's frustrating to watch. Mm-hmm. But I know that they're just trying to trying to recreate the old Bristol. I don't think you're ever going to do that till you put that thing back to you know 32 36 degree banking. That's right. You change the asphalt. banking in it, and and you change the yeah, yeah the the
4: surface. Get rid of the burial banking. Yeah, Yeah. which was designed to be able to create multiple grooves or multiple lines. And now we're back to a a one-line situation. Yeah,
2: It's it's funny because there's this sort of – there's a disconnect between what a driver feels like is a fun race and what a fan feels like is a great race to watch. We would go to Atlanta, old Atlanta, and I loved it. We were going to run the bottom, the middle, the top. You're moving all over the place, sliding around, out of control. I mean, it really challenged you as a driver. But man, watching a race was a completely different experience. Fans did not like it. Fans did not come. And now we, you know, we've reconfigured the track to, to, for the, you know, pretty much save, yeah, its existence, right? Um, when they remodeled Bristol with the varial banking, I remember a very vivid point in the very first race, first or second race there, me. And Casey Kane and Edwards, Carl Edwards, were all running first, second, third. All and you could, you know, to to borrow a cliche, you could have thrown a blanket over the top of us. Literally, we were all three using different lines, and and nearly three wide for the lead. And um, and I thought this this they have taken Bristol and it. Is ten times better. I didn't even know if that was possible because it was pretty badass. Yeah, and um, the more we understood about that track, the more we figured out how to run the top, and that became more and more dominant as guys found how to make their cars really fast up there. And fans fans dis- disagreed with what they were seeing. Right? They didn't. They a driver might enjoy it, but a fan watching didn't like what they were watching. Right? And one of the best, most sought after tickets in our sport uh became less than just you know became just another race which was the ultimate
4: wake-up call for our sport because if bristol all of a sudden wasn't selling out yeah. and i remember that pivotal moment when all of a sudden there were empty seats that was like oh we had a we got a major problem and i think probably started all of the these major changes not just at bristol but at other
2: racetracks and then also the car yeah. i mean like it, it was a big wake-up call yeah They had a great crowd this weekend. They did have a great crowd. I think that that crowd enjoyed what they saw. I think they did. I think that they'll come back. Um, But I I don't think that 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 should – even though those things – even though those boxes were checked in terms of, yes, it was fun. Yes, I would like to see this again. Yes, I'm coming back. I still think that there's a a couple things that can be pushed and encouraged to be better so that we continue to have – to excel right at, yeah. that, at that venue um feels like you're saying that there were some things that sort of masked the uh, bigger problem
4: and that, that that while that's a good thing that we had a, a an entertaining race
2: the undercurrent is there is a problem yeah. that's brewing that's not been addressed and that could have longer term effects yeah i don't know about the truck lap time but i know that the cup car was almost a second faster than xfinity car and we used to go there and sometimes the xfinity car would be quicker Or they run pretty much relatively the same speed that's right um they shouldn't be that big of a discrepancy between the two but that tells you with that independent rear suspension the bigger tire um that cup car can fly right through the middle of the corner and i think that that means that's not a good thing that's not going to make a better short track race right uh when when you're quicker and quicker and quicker through the middle of the corner you want to slow that thing down you want to make those guys lift brake, slide uh, you want to have them white knuckle trying to get a hold of that racetrack around there and um, so maybe we need to figure out ways to maybe there has to be a different short track package I mean we they had that frustrating race at Martinsville and then they went back and tested right and they tested and tried to change some things some variables on the car to try to figure out if this would improve the race there but i don't know that they made i don't know if they moved the needle And that was fascinating to watch all of the things that led up to him being knocked out of the playoffs. So there were a couple cars that got back on the racetrack, two of them being Toyotas, Ty Gibbs and Bubba Wallace. They get back on the track after some issues with their racks and steering. And as they're making laps, I'm sitting, we're all sitting in the booth going, man, are they, are they really going to make laps and pass him? Like this is another Toyota. Like we were having this conversation in our head. Sure enough, Bubba Wallace and his team felt like that the owner's points and anything that they could gain out of being on the track was worth more than any anything that might happen to Kyle, but the um, Ty Gibbs car conveniently pulled off the racetrack four laps short of passing him. Um, there was just some interesting things happening. And then the 22 car of Logano, uh, you know, is, is uh, out there on the racetrack and, who was it that needed the spots? Cendric. Cendric That's right. Yeah. That's so Cendric right. needs the passing, right, to be able to get a point. Um, and yeah, with a few laps left in the race, all of a sudden, oh, there's the twenty two cars on pit road. Oh, there's a no. problem. <laughs> Got to address it. Got to <laughs> <He>, fix it. <laughs> we were under. We were in commercial, I believe, in the under caution, and he gave two laps up to Cendric under that caution. And <laughs> we're, st- we're sitting there going, "Well, that was convenient." Like. Don't look, you know, let's get, we're in commercial. Okay, come on down pit road real quick. Yeah. Nobody will know. Yeah. Um, Did y'all bring it up when when you came back? No. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, I don't know what the protocol is there. Right. So here's the thing. So in my mind, I mean, I think I know what they're doing, but, but, but there's this sort of code that maybe I break from time to time, but there's this code in broadcasting and in journalism, I think, you know, and, and, and in media, you don't you you can you can speculate, but you can't say something is fact unless you really know it's fact. That's that's fair, yeah. Right. And so it, if I really don't know that the twenty two car isn't broken, then I can't say oh, it's broken unless I really you know I or Do I know if Ty Gibbs really had a problem and had to come down Pitt Road uh, four laps short of passing Kyle Busch? I don't, but I can only assume, right? And so that's as far as you can take it in the booth. You know, I don't really know exactly what the code, what the rule is, and it's really gray and murky. But I know this, like my – I follow Burton, Steve, and Rick, and they will never – them three will never – make a statement unless they know that it is true. Hmm. So they won't speculate? They will speculate. They will say, hey, this, this could be this. But they won't say it is unless they know it's true. And so I sometimes feel like that maybe it's a bit unprofessional, but sometimes I might bend that or break that code um, because I think I can kind of get away with it. Or just, you know, or I feel strongly enough in my belief that I'm going to gamble on that, you know, on that notion. But I really don't know, right? In the in the moment, I really am not, I'm not down there in the pits looking at this car going, yep, I see the broken part. Or, nope, it's not broken. He pulled in because he was told to, right? So, it's interesting because I don't, I'm sitting there and I'm watching them. I'm waiting on them to see what they do. I'm waiting on Rick and them. I'm watching them, seeing what they're going to say. <laughs> Who's going to jump out there and they, <laughs> they, how far? And they, know, they don't. They don't, never, they don't never go anywhere unless they know it's it's fact. And th- I think that's probably, probably for the best, for sure. There's certainly a, a, a burden of
4: responsibility that you guys have, whereas in the Ultimate Suite experience, there was a guy that yelled out,
7: Bullshit! Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so there's a little bit of that in me happening in the moment. And I have to be careful, right, not to be just completely obvious about it, but because I might be wrong for one, but also I don't want to infuse this sort of loosey goosey, unprofessional attitude or vibe into the broadcast. Our broadcast is should be considered like elite, top shelf. We do it the bet. We do it better than anybody else, and. And if you got a guy in there going, "Oh man, I don't know," SBS, uh, you know, I don't know if that's we're all, even if we're all thinking it. I don't know if that's what we really need to have on our broadcast. Now you can elude, you can speculate, and it's interesting to see. You can point out the coincidence in the in the matter, which we did. I feel yeah. like we did. Um, we let one of the things that Tart tart told me that was interesting is said, "Man, you." You don't have to be the one to make the statement. You bring up the possibility of it, and allow the fan, a person at home, to make their own assumption. Which is what happens, yeah. 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 And that's something I have to try to think about as well. Um, we talked about the tires. Uh, we talked about um, the the rack and pinion. That that you know the rack and pinion thing for me. Listen, if I'm Harvick and I'm any of those guys, Truex, I'm mad. I'm making T-shirts. I'm doing whatever, right? Truex has got that tr- new cool T-shirt out, which I think I'd, I'd love to get one. What's it called?
0: It's like, uh, ha- I think it's Kevin Harvick. It's Happy's. What did I say? Uh, Truex. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's Happy's Crappy Parts for Less. Yeah, Happy's,
3: Happy's uh, Crappy Ass Parts yeah. for Less. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so I would love one of those shirts. That's an actual T-shirt
4: that are yeah. selling? Yeah, he just put it, out. put it
3: up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah. We gotta get to. We gotta get I short. can respect the the, the game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as much as I would be absolutely, absolutely furious if I were if I were them. The thing is, is like, and the reason why they can be furious is because they can. They look at these parts that they're putting on these cars, and they can see a hundred percent. Rodney Childers and all these guys can look at something and go, "If I could, if I can just, if you give me five minutes, I can fix this thing where it won't break." But they can't touch it. They can't modify it. They can't infuse any kind of improvement that is outside. You know, they buy these parts from a from a from a provider, and they are not allowed to alter them, even for uh, you know to make them safer or or stronger, right, or more durable. But they can look at it and see, oh man, that's not good. That's mm-hmm. the that's a cheap piece. I I can fix that easily, and that's the frustration for them, right? I think it's warranted too. Absolutely, but for me, as a viewer or or a guest broadcaster, there's a part of me that w- wants the want I there's a part of me that wants a, every car that goes to the racetrack to be pushed to its limit, and obviously this is probably a little extreme and they don't need to be breaking the racks in multiple cars, but I, I've always felt like that at some point we made the cars so bulletproof. You never questioned an engine. You never questioned there might, you know, an engine failure was freaking rare. Like to get one or even two a season is really rare. Like we talk about it. Look how Bush had two engine failures and he, and, Man, that's not happened to him in years. Boy, when in the 80s, man, you were that night. Oh and my Knight, god. Yeah, yes. They were breaking all the time. motors all the time.
4: Yes. Who was it? I think it was Kyle Petty where he had like we were when we were talking to him, he had like 12 races and blown 11 motors yeah. at some point or something stupid. Wow. <laughs> and
2: so, yeah, I think when Dad raced for Bud Moore in 2000 in uh, 1982, 83, I think he had double digit engine failures. Um so, I don't think we need to get back to there. <laughs> Good. But remember, man, uh, remember the old saying, oh, $2 part took us out.
4: Yeah. Remember that? That's right.
2: Man, yeah. $2, yeah. Man, $2 part. That's right. Cost us a win. Yeah. Um, You don't have that anymore. Ever. And when w- the last gen car, like the the car that we were racing last year, was so durable. It was beyond... Everything, like the brakes, the engine, all the stuff was built to be well, uh, last well beyond anything it was going to experience on the racetrack, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the next-gen car is, in a lot of people's opinion, and mine as well, an even tougher, uh, you know, car. It's over, you know, all of, everything about it says it is unbreakable aside from this cheap you know rack that apparently we have uh <laughs> which they'll fix that they'll make the, the nascar will not go back to bristol and have this happen again they'll fix it but part of me like wants the car to have that some flaws f- yeah be f- be fragile some vulnerability, vulnerability yeah. absolutely perfect word i want the drivers to need to nurse it take care of it yeah um the same way i want them to have to do that with tires that's right i was just thinking it we got a car that is eventually you know after a few more bugs get worked out of it will be unbreakable and then you got a tire that don't wear i mean that's just not those are that's just not going in the right direction i guess i don't know there's a balance there but i think the fact that i was sitting there watching a race going man these cars might not get to the end. Whose is gonna break? Whose tire? Whose whose rack? You know what's who's gonna be next? That made me. Um, I would I would watch that again. Yeah, it's like I like was we entertained were, by the by the unexpected or un, unknown.
4: It's like we're playing this video game with the damage control off. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? we like you race it different, right? Yeah. You don't have to take care. You don't have to nurture it. You don't have to protect it and get it to the end. You yeah. just.
2: Run that, that some into yeah. the wall, and then it's uh, you know, you gonna keep yeah. on digging. When but, I when Dad used to race for Bud Moore, Bud would tell him, like, man, you know, you you're breaking our motors, you're running them too hard. Yeah. So it was this sort of mentality, like, you know, if you run if you run hundred percent all day, it's gonna blow the engine. Could you imagine telling a driver or a driver having to get in the car, going, well, I can't run hard all day. Or the the mother's gonna break. I'm gonna break a valve spring. Just I tell just, Ross Chastain that, and, be, just, and and watch what happens. We're gonna right? we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna, we gonna get it to the last twenty laps, and then we're gonna go right. Uh, right. I, you know. That, Save it for
4: the uh, end. Yeah. Save it for the end. What the hell are you talking about? Well, the racing
2: yeah. <laughs> the racing uh, should be the racing should be brutal enough that it it really tests the cars as much as the drivers. Mm-hmm. um and and there was a glimpse of that in the uh in the in the bristol race we but it was it's absolutely something that needs to be addressed we don't need that that's that's taking a little too far i think when when the part was failing so often chris busher wins the race christopher busher i want chris busher to make a christopher busher t-shirt wouldn't that be cool
4: i'm surprised it hadn't already happened I know.
2: why are they not on that i was looking that should have happened weeks ago yeah. I thought of a uh, new T-shirt we could make for our Dirty Mo line. All right. So during the Xfinity race, Justin Allgaier comes over the radio and says, Dirty Air Sucks.
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's right. I thought, man, that'd be That's a good it. T-shirt. We'll be on it. Dirty yeah. Air Sucks. Yeah. Because it does. <laughs> I think every race fan, any kind of form, any form of motorsports can appreciate that.
4: That would be even a good filter time shirt, wouldn't it? It would.
2: Yeah. Dirty Air Sucks. Everything. Yeah. That's good. Hey, man. We Marketing just that machines. Into, that's right. My wife, right here. my wife had a good line the other day that I thought, um, I don't know if it makes a good T-shirt, but you know what your love language is, Mike?
4: Do I know mine specifically? Yeah. There's five of them. I'm trying to remember. Well, uh, no, no.
2: no. Like, when your wife, I, what's, I, one, I, what's one thing that... One of the things
4: is affection. One of the things is uh, time spent with somebody. Like th- those are the love
2: languages. My wife says my love language is hugs and beer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's also a T-shirt. <laughs>
2: That's a good T-shirt. That is my love language is hugs and beer. <laughs> That's
4: good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You just you want to make it happen. Yeah, let's
2: just make, make, make it happen. Dirty air sucks, and my love language is hugs and beer. <laughs>
4: yeah.
6: Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or the property, it's the location and neighborhood,
7: Dalton. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home.
6: And when we say in-depth, we're talking deep in-depth. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide.
7: They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings and student to teacher ratio they even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent so when
6: it comes to finding a home not just a house a home this is everything you need to know all in one place homes.com we've done your homework
3: hey speaking of amy uh she got to go on a ride along this weekend and i'm she did that sounded great we got the video right here really
2: Mm -hmm. let's watch it Mm -hmm. look mike we get loose off turn two
3: <laughs> she throws an arm bar at you, and that's probably my favorite. She's
2: breathing. <laughs> Watch my hands. You'll know when we get loose. Whoa. Wow. She had a little concern. You then, had to saw on it, yeah. didn't you? <clears throat> I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> She's not happy.
3: <laughs>
4: Did you almost wreck?
3: We just got loose.
2: <laughs>
4: that feels like almost wreck. <laughs>
3: Yeah, the look on her face, she's like, okay, I'm done. She
4: went from having a thrill of her life to not having fun. Yeah.
2: Her (laughs) face changes. Yeah. That is hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just, I got down into PJ1, and it's not activated or whatever the hell. Um, The PJ1's not grippy right away, Mike. The cars have to run in it for a little bit, and it sort of heats up, and then it gets grippy. So it's it's really, it's hard, like a plastic. Mm Mm-hmm. And and then the more they run on it, it softens and goos. Okay. I got you. So, 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 so it wasn't grippy. No. <laughs> and so I drove. I was running a top during everybody wanted to run against the wall. So I'm running a high line around mm. Bristol, right? And mm. that time I came down off the center of the corner, came down to the off the exit, and the left side's gotten that PJ1, and it goes, just turned sideways. And we slid out to the wall right at the flag stand. We kind of just stood at a dirt track off the corner. I'm glad you saved it. I really
4: am. I'm, and, and save may not even be the, the right word because you don't think you almost wrecked. I'm going to tell you something. Let's just think for a second. Had you hit the wall yeah. with your wife in the car, are we even remotely aware of the attention that would have got in terms of, <laughs> I mean, that would have been news. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> that would have been big news.
5: Yeah.
4: If you had wrecked with your wife in the car.
2: Oh, that would be interesting. Oh, my yeah. God. She'd have to, we'd have to brought her in here to tell her side of it.
4: Listen, I'm kind of curious about what her uh, feedback was after that. Like, when she got out of the car, does anybody know? Was she, like, get me out of this thing? He's a maniac.
0: I forget what she said, but she said something that maybe we all laughed at. We were like, yeah. "Oh
4: my
2: god!" But
0: Alex got a ride in a couple laps. Yeah, I was right after. Her. I want. Yeah. Did you think about not doing it because he of didn't that? know? I didn't know. I didn't, didn't know. know we got. there was a big like bug splatter right on the windshield, and I'm like, "Oh, that's. I hope that's a bug splatter. I hope that's not someone before me that threw up in there." But yeah. <laughs> so w- what did you think? I, it was. I couldn't even like begin to describe it because it's i've never experienced something like that before but first i didn't know what to do with my hands i was like do i just hold them to me or like what but uh when we were going around like you try to like take it in because it's i know it's gonna be, like three laps five laps so it's, and it's bristol but like my mouth was open the whole time i was like and I, but i wasn't breathing i was like holding my breath and i was like, i could not do this for 500 laps after five laps so i was like oh, i'm gonna throw up after this but it was awesome. I couldn't. I, it was amazing. The G forces that you feel when you really go plant into that turn, and yeah. the grip, and it, it does something to your body, doesn't it? It, it? it like, does. Yeah, like you, like you're trying to like you kind of do that thing like on a roller coaster where you try to move your head a little bit, but you can't. Like it's just like pinned down, and then like. <laughs> The, how fast you go down the straightaway, and then all of a sudden you just jolt on the brake, and then you're back on. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is crazy!" And you're just stuck there. I'm like, yeah. "It was it was <laughs> wild."
3: And there's nothing scarier than being in the passenger seat of a race car. Like oh, I've yeah. given ride-alongs, and been in a ride-along before, and being on that outside, closest to the retaining wall, mm-hmm. like. I don't care who you are, that is scary. <laughs> there were a few
0: moments where I was like we're hitting the wall at a at, 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 like turn two. Like we're I'm next I'm right there. I'm like, um we're in the wall right now, but no. Had a had it good. Don't you love hearing people's reaction with the person that done yeah. that?
4: Like that that would be awesome uh, to be able to provide them that so I that was cool. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad you cool. did that. Yeah,
2: thank you, Dad. That was awesome. No, was, I, I um that's one of the funnest things that we do is really uh you know, giving somebody a bit be- I mean, that is that is as close as I can get them to un- you know understanding what it must be like because the, you know, when you're watching a race happen, you're like, why didn't you do that? Oh yeah. Or what a dumb move that yeah. was.
4: No, tr- no talent, SOB, yeah. mm-hmm. and can't then,
2: drive. Yeah. And, and and you put somebody in there just for even three laps and they go, oh, no way. Okay. Now yeah. you know, I can't imagine 500 of these plus the 40 cars on the track and they don't they go from thinking, man, half these guys are hacks, to man, these guys are all crazy, and they're and they're really, you know, they're 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 all really good, you know, at what they do to have to, to be able to go out there and, and and perform.
4: I'll give you a specific example of that. You remember there was a, a string of races at Bristol where you were having problems on pit road, like you might either either speed or miss. Uh, you know, so there was something that would have penalized. Usually, there was a speeding on pit road thing. And in my head i might kind of make a few jokes possibly i never called you a hack yeah you know when you gave me that right experience at bristol and we went three five laps whatever it was i became so disoriented i didn't know what was the front stretch or the back stretch and that was just in a just a few laps it changed my entire perspective, and I, I felt like I needed to apologize to you. <laughs> <laughs> my legs were shaking the whole
0: time after that. Right, yeah. it's
4: like you get out of the car. Yeah, you, when you get out of the car, it's almost like yeah, I need a few moments to kind of collect myself, right? But yeah. then, and that was just a handful of laps. So that is, it changes your whole perspective, which I think is why you do that. Like you like, um, you know, when when we can kind of relate yeah. to those situations. So, you mentioned Dirty Mo Media had uh, another sweet experience. How'd yeah. that go? It was amazing. We had uh, a bachelor party going on. Uh, Those guys were a trip. We had a wedding proposal that I did not see coming at all uh, because who could have? And it was funny because after the bachelor, you know, we we found out there was a bachelor party. And I said, anybody else wants to get married in here, you know, this is the time to do it. And I was joking. I'm not saying this is why the proposal happened. The guy had it planned. But ten minutes later, he's on his knee asking his, uh, you know, girlfriend, fiance to to marry him. And it's – I was like, dude, I was totally kidding about that whole thing. But you know, he was. That was amazing. There was just a lot of good people. There was a lot of return customers, and I think that at the end of the night, they were, they were, um, they experienced a good race. Dale, you talked about it. It may have been for the wrong reasons, but there were there was a lot of drama that was built up for whatever, uh you know, different scenarios, leaders blowing tires, wrecking out, whatever it is. Um, and then at the end of the day, man, it, uh, I think a lot of memories were made, and we're gonna go. Try to do them again next year, these yeah. uh, ultimate suite experiences.
2: You know what kind of tracks you're going to do them at?
4: I was actually going to ask you if you had any ideas. I mean, listen, they've got to they meet some criteria. One is they've got to – I'd like to do one in different regions so that, you know, various people can have opportunities to join us. Uh, so that means west coast, middle of the country, and east coast. I think that, um, you know, the, the quality of the race matters, and I also think they need to have a good suite. And we know some that don't, so I, I don't know. I mean, we did put out a poll, and I think a lot of fans. I mean, like for instance, you know what got a lot of votes for next year? Wilkesboro. Well, I, Wilkesboro don't have any suites, do they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. That are that are not condemned right now. Hey,
3: well, then comes the process no, no, I'm, of getting no, I'm, credentials. The, too. You,
4: you remember? You remember that there was, was? that a, that even s- it's a no, condescending no, remark? No, it was a fact. <laughs> there were there were that only, sounded only the, only the press box was not. That sounded condescending. Hey,
3: well, Morgan Overstreet just wasn't. chimed in, and she's got a great idea. Why don't you just rent a motor coach?
2: Mike! Can your can your sweet experience happen in a coach? It could, yeah. Or it's like not a, a bad idea. Or like a hospitality setting. That's why
3: Morgan gets paid the big bucks. Mm, yep.
2: <laughs> That's actually a good
4: idea. You, well, let's do a, maybe we do Wilkesboro. We do a, a, a motor coach, and it's just a handful of people. What
3: about a Sonoma one? We can take our dirty mo people on a wine tour.
4: Sonoma. What do, I don't know. What do you think?
3: And I'll buy a ticket you, for that. Is that a good one? I mean, I'll, is I'll
4: is is a, is a suite at a road course even? Is it? Is it does it feel ultimate? Does it? <laughs> yeah. It does.
2: I mean, I would imagine.
4: If you're drinking, you don't care. No,
2: no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I know what a sweet experience at Sonoma feels like. I went to some hospitalities Okay. At that racetrack.
3: Yeah, they have the really cool ones that aren't right. actually suites, but they're like that nice tent setups that are up on the hill yep. up when you go up into one up over underneath the overpass or whatever they've got all those really nice mm. like sweet platforms where they set it up it's usually nice weather
2: Sonoma that's an idea then so uh North Westboro is going to have their suites repaired and back oh see I didn't know
4: that yeah Okay, so but they were condemned. Or not, I didn't mean condemned. <laughs> condemned was the wrong word. Right, right. I got you. They gotcha. were removed. They, they were just off they limits. Were, or, they
2: were, no, were removed. Well, there
4: were some that were there that they were, you those, could not have people all right. in them. Yeah. But they still were there. But you're right. They did remove some fix, as well.
2: Yeah, and they're going to put them back. Okay. Well, but that might not be enough, big enough for you. You, you, need, know, you, you know what your, I'd like to do? You need a certain amount of people to make this thing viable. No, I, I
4: don't. I, oh. It could be 10 people for all I care. I mean, as long as it's a memorable experience and, and that we, you know, the, the people leave fulfilled, that is really all I care about. Um, I'm not looking for numbers in terms of that. I mean, different experiences are going to require – look, we're going to do a motorhome, and it's not like we're going to go do you know, 60 people in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I sort of want to go to more than just NASCAR races. Like, I wouldn't mind doing the Indy 500 next year. Mm. That'd be cool. You think it would? I think it'd be really cool, yeah. Hannah, do
3: you endorse that? The, the Indy, 500? Indy 500? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Anyone that hasn't been, just a ticket is worth the price of admission, let alone doing a sweet experience. Like, mm. the Indy 500 is an unmatched event.
4: Maybe we should have a conversation with Douglas Bowles. Should. See if he wants to. Doug's have... a bomb. Yeah.
2: All right. What, what color would you say my beard is?
4: Well, that's a transition that I didn't see coming. Besides gray. It's gray <laughs> on the sides. It's, it's sort of.
0: A... I would have dirty blonde, maybe. Yeah, it it looks like it looks like the Bojangles seasoned fries. (laughs) What was the question? What color is his beard?
3: So I always Dylan has a red beard, right? My fiance. And now everyone's always like, oh, it's starting to salt and pepper. And I'm like, no, it's starting to salt and paprika.
4: (laughs) You know, now that he says it, I I honestly don't like it has different colors at different places.
2: Well, I have this avatar that I've been using for all my social media handles. (laughs) Yeah. And everybody says it looks like Truex because the, there's thrills. not enough gray in the beard. And so he's uh, Ryan's adding some gray, but now I'm like, well, maybe I need to paint, make the beard not black because I don't have a black Turn beard. it around again. Let's do this. I'll help you out. He's here. added some gray.
6: All that's not
4: the same color. He's added gray, but that's, black would be the wrong colored base for your beard. Right. That's what I'm asking yeah. you to do. Yeah. Is well,
2: go brown, right? Yeah. Something, Something like that. Man, I'm really excited about this guest for today's show. Tony Glover uh, is well-liked in the garage, well-respected, has had a lot of success and has a lot of history, and we're going to learn all about that. Thankful for Ally helping us uh, bring our guest segment to you every single week. Ally's been a great partner for us here, and they're doing some great things in the industry. Ally does it right, uh, and especially with this guest segment. Let's get started, Mike. Let's do it, man.
1: I hope these headphones makes it louder, Yeah. And I'm not going to say I don't hear very well. I'm going to say I don't hear at all. Yeah. Well,
4: you, you would be no different than all the rest of the folks that have been in the, in the sport. We all lose our hearing eventually, yeah. right? I mean, that's what happens. Yes. Well, we all
2: have selective hearing to begin with, <laughs> so then, then the rest of it drops. So, Tony
1: Glover, man, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's, I can't tell you how big of an honor it is to be on here. Oh,
2: shoot, man. You're crazy. Uh, we're glad to have you, man. It's cool to be able to sit down and and spend some time with you this morning. Tell me what you're up to these days.
1: Well, actually, I, <clears throat> I work for NASCAR. I'm the technical director for all the touring series, really? which includes uh Arca Menard Series, Arca East and West, the uh, Wheeland Modified Tour, uh, the Penties Tour, the Penty Series in Canada. How, and,
2: so you're busy. Yeah, yeah.
1: I do about forty or forty-five a year.
2: Wow. And how do you enjoy? doing that i mean after you've been in in racing your whole life traveling running and running you'd think that at some point you'd you'd want to get off the road
1: no i love it man it's uh you know i i can't think of how the world will be the day i don't go to the racetrack so i don't look at it as having to go i look at it as getting to go getting to go i
2: love that um i have uh you know i've kind of been interested to talk to you a little bit about how you got your start um the glover last name has uh has some history to it uh even beyond your own career as a crew chief and uh, all the things you've done so tell us about like um how you got your start in racing what what was the thing that introduced you to, to to stock cars
1: well actually uh i went to my first race at three weeks old uh, my mom and dad said anyway and uh, what do you remember about that I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember nothing about that <clears throat> but I can tell you the first thing I ever remember about racing we were at a track in uh, I think Cleveland Tennessee and I was about I think about five or six years old and I remember uh, me it was just me my mom and my dad went and I kind of was a little bit scared nervous and uh, my dad said oh don't worry I won't race and uh, Actually, I laid down and took a nap, and when I woke up, he was flipping out of the racetrack. Oh Damn. my gosh! Now wait, Cleveland, Tennessee,
4: yeah, dirt track, yeah. Uh-huh. I yeah, I used to go to that track, yeah, right outside of Chattanooga,
1: yeah, right outside of Chattanooga. That's
2: right, yep. yeah, I used to go there. Where your dad raced? Mm-hmm. Did anybody else in your family? Nope,
1: just my dad. And
2: uh, well, why why did he start racing?
1: My dad, yeah. he just loved it. He had a he had uh, probably the biggest burning desire to race of anybody I know. I mean, he he absolutely loved it. Yeah
2: and so you grew up in a you know you grew up in a household with trophies and cars and there was something always going on with racing and that's you just that that's how you got introduced to it
1: yeah and uh, my dad was my hero when i was young and he was winning a lot of races and i got you know go to the track and sit in the stands with my mother and you know watch all that and then when um you know, when I got old enough to be to be able to go into pits, like at thirteen, yes. um, I started doing that. And uh, you know, like I say, my dad was my hero. He put you to work. Yeah, we yeah. actually did. Yeah, I started when I was uh, thirteen years old.
2: Yeah, what was your what was your responsibilities?
1: Well, my first responsibility was cleaning the shop and then cleaning parts. Yeah. And then finally, I got promoted up to uh, the nut and bolt man. I got to put a wrench on all the bolts, make sure they were tight. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and so his car was number seventy-one. Yep. Well, talk about his success. Talk about what he accomplished.
1: Well, <clears throat> he won a bunch of dirt modified races and
2: dirt modified.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay. Dirt modifieds with wings, and they at at home they called them super modifieds. And then they had some cars they called skeeters, which was like the most powerful. Uh, it was like a like a sprint car but it had nobody on it. What? Just a wing and a and like a go kart basically. Wow. Good and he drove that for a while and um uh he had a had a really good career and then, then uh about the time I got started he got to running he got to run in late models and he had always drove for other people and uh, then when, when he started running late models after his second or third year, I think when like I say when I got thirteen he kinda started his own team. Yeah. And uh, I was with him until he retired.
2: And so he retired when?
1: In 19 – he ran one race in 1982, basically. Why did he retire? Because we were winning races and just two years off a championship and it and could barely make a living. It was uh, – we didn't have no sponsor. But
2: he said he had this burning desire. Yeah. he. So how did he hang it up?
1: He just got to the point where he couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't
2: even – it wasn't interesting to him to drop down – a notch and go back to weekly racing somewhere. Or. Nah,
1: really, the week that was that was a really uh, uh pivotal time in late models because uh, it was
2: moving to a national series,
1: yeah, because the late models become the Xfinity series, the, the bush series right. at the yeah. time, and everything was switching and and uh. He said, you know, he said, we got three cars. We got all this equipment. He said, and I was trying to drive, wanting to drive, and, and I got to drive one race. And he said, take all this stuff. And he said, go learn, you know, go go race. That's what you got to do. But we're winning races, and I, we can't hardly make a living. So I don't think you're going to learn to drive, you know.
2: So you had you? had when did you run your very first race?
1: Well, I only I'd run my first one and my last one the same day. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Where was that at? That was Kingsport Speedway. With it his was, car? Was, yeah. And I how would that go? It went good for him. He won the race. Uh, and uh, I run about 90 laps and, and uh, broke a gear. Oh, okay. And it didn't matter because about five more was all I was going to be able to make it anyway because I was here and my head was over there. Wore your head out. Yeah. Yep. What number did you run? I run uh, 71. 71? Oh, yeah. he was in the race as well? Yeah. Okay. There were
2: Two 71s. I got gotcha. you. So what are you, uh, you know, with this change uh, in in his life is this like are you i mean imagine you're like sad about this right
1: oh my god i mean i'm like i'm like heartbroken and you know he retired and at that point in time i'd started I'd, uh, i'd built his last couple of cars from from scratch and so i'd started a little car building deal. Race I was actually, yeah, yeah, late models. I was getting the, the frames and, and, and the stuff from Mike Laughlin and uh, putting them together in my shop. And, and a few of them actually turnkey build them, you know, set them up and took them to the track. And, For anybody uh, we'd know? Um, probably not. Okay. No, nobody that ever made it famous. And and um, that didn't last very long. But, but luckily, the, the last couple of years my dad raced and endured his championship season uh, every time we'd be in conjunction with Cup, yeah. he Richard Petty would come by and talk to him. And uh, I always just kept working on the car. And, and Richard jokingly one day told my dad, he said, when you quit, he said, I'm going to hire that boy. Mm. And a year after my dad retired, uh, Richard called me and I went to Level Cross and went to work.
2: Okay. So um, do you remember when Dale Jarrett ran in the back of your dad's car at Charlotte? Yeah. We talked about that on the show. Remember when Dale Jarrett broke his ankle? Yeah. Do do you remember that? Oh yeah, that was a hell of a hit.
1: Oh my God! Destroyed them cars. Destroyed both of them. Couldn't believe it. it. And that and that was really the start of us going down because that Speedway car was what he called our money car. Uh You know, every time we raced the speedways, we could get a little more money. We a lot more money, and we could get scuffed tires from people, and didn't have a lot of expense. So that was really our bread and butter as far as making money, like three or four times a year. So that that hurt.
5: Yeah.
2: That was a. Uh, did he get injured in that crash? No. Oh.
1: But the funny thing about that, and you'll get a kick out of this Robert G., uh, we got that car from from uh, Laughlin, the frame and roll cage, uh-huh. and Robert G assembled it turnkey. Really? Yes, sir. Yeah. That's my granddaddy. Yeah.
4: How did that happen? Like, had you guys been doing business with him?
1: No, we actually had went to Charlotte, I think in 74, and we had a new car, and the water pump failed, and it cut the radiator hose in two. Basically, we had to have somewhere to try to fix it, and somebody come by and said, Robert G. can fix that thing. And we got a hold of Robert G., and we drug it over to his shop, and me and him stayed up all night long and fixed it, and we went back and raced. And we become... Friends after that. yeah And uh, at the start of 79, or at the middle of 78, we got a sponsor and uh, they wanted to get a, a new Speedway car. Who the sponsor? Uh, well, it, it was uh, Bob Jones, it was Machine Tool Corporation. Mm-hmm. And that's when the mining industry was like knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And then the, uh, by, I don't know, by two months into 79, that all took a, a crap. And uh, <laughs> basically, he had to quit sponsoring us. Yeah. But, uh, no, anyway, Robert G. built that car, and it was really, really nice car.
2: So you get hired by Richard Petty. Yeah. You – do you – I mean, had you ever been over there to their shop?
1: Never been, there. So
2: mate. I know you knew him, and you're at the racetrack and all that. Was it really uh, as intimidating as it might seem <laughs> to be going over there to work?
1: Not but, really. You know? I think at that point in time in my life, I think I was too – naive yeah. to even be intimidated yeah. I didn't I mean I didn't wasn't intimidated really by very much of nothing so what year was this that would have been at the end that would have been December I think I started December of 82 and I actually went to be a tire changer for Richard uh, and during the winter I worked in a fab shop building a car with Kyle and me and Kyle become good friends and by the time the season started I was on Kyle's team
2: okay and Kyle's just
4: getting going yeah. Well, you said ninety two, right? Eighty two. Eighty two. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Eighty two.
1: So yeah, Kyle that's had run. About. I think he'd run one year. will run one I year. Got
2: you. Right. Um, which was um, astonishing to hear Kyle talk about it because he, you know, his very first race was in the ARCA car at Daytona in like eighty or something. Yeah. And uh, but his first Cup year, I guess he might have ran. I guess maybe that was seventy eight or seventy nine. But he ran a he ran that old Mercury that Richard quit messing with, and then he ran the Buick. Yeah. Uh and he kinda got going. Like in mm-hmm. eighty one he kinda he told me about yeah. almost one Dover. Yeah, he
1: ran second at Dover, I think, and and uh he drove Hoss Ellington's car a little bit. Yeah. To have had
2: no driving experience yeah. before that. Like he's out in the cups The funny thing about Richard is is like he's like you ain't gonna mess around No don't mess around him Late models and running nope. short tracks. Right. Get on in this cup car. Yeah. He said
1: Richard <laughs> didn't want him to learn no bad habits. He said, yeah. "This is what you're going to be racing. Get in it and go." That's what I did. That's what you're going that's to do.
4: Wild. It. Had you ever left Kingsport up until this point? I mean, uh,
5: for, no one for, to, would to live away. No to, one
2: no. would ever say, "We're going to cup racing right out of the gate today." Right? That'd no. just be. Sp- I don't even think
1: you'd be allowed yeah, to. He you wouldn't. couldn't go through that's, the approval yeah, process. Right. That's
2: Right. But that's what Kyle Petty did.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You know, I know even when at Ganassi when we brought Montoya in, uh-huh. you know he had to go through the same approval process that everybody else did, yeah. even though he was a Indy 500 winner and a, a Formula One winner.
2: Yeah. So, so you're on Kyle's car. Uh, Kyle's a character. Um, yeah. I've gotten to know him much much better since we started working together on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's uh, I can't I'm trying I can't imagine what he must have been like back then when he was young. <laughs> what was it yeah he
1: he was really a a cool guy to be around you know and and actually in in 83 unless patty went me and kyle roomed together Mm -hmm. we were roommates for the whole entire season i got you so we become really really close and uh, i I think a lot of not only kyle the the whole petty family and and i'm gonna be honest with you I, i spent one year in level cross and i tell everybody that's my that's my college education. I got a four-year degree in one year, <laughs> in level cross. Yeah. So
2: um, outside of working with Kyle, like being around Dale Inman and guys like that, um, was how how uh, what kind of impression did they leave on you?
1: Well, they left they left a big one. Actually, Dale wasn't there when I That's was. That's right. Yeah. He, he had left. He did. But. He wasn't there in person, but there was a lot of Dale still there.
5: Influence, yeah. A lot
1: of Dale a lot of Dale's ways and a lot of everything else. And 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 Robin Pemberton worked there then. Mm-hmm. Um and uh had Steve Mill left? Steve Mill had left. Right. He had left like a year or two before that. Um uh, and Mike Beam was over Mike Bean was over Kyle's car. He was the crew chief and I worked on that team and uh Mike left a pretty a pretty lasting impression on me. I was um, I think he helped, and I don't. I don't even think he knows this, but he helped me want to be a better person and and kind of want to be like him. Yeah.
2: So um, you only hung around there for a year. Mm-hmm. Then what happened?
1: Well, at the end of the year, <clears throat> at the end of the year, Richard was leaving to go drive for for Mike Curb. So we, I think we had forty forty some odd people at the time. Most of them were married, and we we're going to cut back to one team. And Kyle talked to me about it, and uh, actually he said, you know, there's a possibility you might get to be Richard's crew chief when he moves. It's down to like three people, and you might get to be one of them. And actually Buddy Parrott wound up and got it. But anyway, um, my grandmother that had raised me from the time I was 13 had gotten really sick at the end of 82. And uh, I kind of thought, you know what, I need to go back and spend a little bit of time with her. And about that time, Morgan McClure was getting started. Um, and they had run a couple of races with Mark Martin. And actually I I interviewed with Junior Johnson and talked to him about working for him, and then I interviewed with G.C. Spencer about going to work for Morgan McClure. And I I told him, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this for one year. I did everything for one year back then. And I said, I'm going to go do this deal for one year. At Morgan's. At Morgan McClure. G.C.
2: Spencer was – running the deal
1: he was actually the crew chief when i went to work there
2: he was an old driver yep and didn't he have his own team
1: he had his own team and larry mcclure was sponsoring gc and larry mcclure being the smart guy that he is he said you know what instead of the sponsoring I might as well own it right so he bought gc out and hired gc to come work for okay. him okay
2: that's interesting
4: wow so that that's a, is that the start of morgan mcclure then it yep. was when he bought gc spencer's team that's yep. it
1: Yep. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. that yeah. yeah. How about that?
2: And so uh, what was your role at Morgan's?
1: And when Mor- I started at Morgan McClure as, um, first of all, I was going to get to be over to pit crew, and I was going to get to call the race. And G.C. Spencer was the crew chief. And okay. uh, we run a few races, and G.C. didn't. We we run a few races with Lenny Pond, and then we got Tom Yell's. Mm-hmm. And we were working like crazy, and GC got aggravated one time, and he said, "I'm, you can have it. I'm done." And so he quit for a while, and then he come and they made me crew chief, and then he come back a year or so later, but I was still the crew chief.
2: What did he do when he quit? Where did he go? Nowhere. No and then he came back. Uh, yeah. Like he could just come on back. Yeah. Why was he
4: done? Why did he say he was done? What was That's going so on? weird?
1: Yeah, he just—I don't know. He just got mad and and uh, just got mad one day and decided to quit. And what would qu- make you mad? Because we were, at, um, we were at Nashville Speedway. And you remember at Nashville how you had to push the car here and mm-hmm. push it there. And we were pushing it down and, and going across the scales, and the rear end was popping. And we decided to go back and change the gear, and we were like just barely got on the line. And he said, we get back, you can have it. I'm done. I'm not racing like this. I, you know, I can't, I can't be pushed like this. <laughs> so, uh, so he quit, and then he, like I say, he come back, and he, and he stayed another year or so yeah. after that.
2: So, what kind of driver was Lenny Pond? You know, I raced against him.
1: Yeah, L- L- Lenny.
2: I raced Lenny at a sorry. I raced Lenny at East Carolina Bridge Speedway in a late mile stock car in yeah. 1994. Yeah, it's like his last uh, race he ran. I didn't
1: know yeah, that yeah, yeah. He didn't. Larry McClure from the very beginning was a very competitive person, mm-hmm. and he wanted a he wanted a driver that he thought was driving the wheels off of it. Yeah. Well, why and, did he let Mark go? <laughs> I don't. You might have to ask him. At yeah. I think GC talked him into that, and and this is a funny story. Yeah. You know, you know how Mark he's like wired yeah. for sound. Oh
8: yeah.
1: And uh, they run they run him at Darlington the year before I went there, with no water and didn't give him a single drink of water all day long. And GC said Mark was out of shape and he fell out of the seat. And uh, he said he was scared because when you went by for qualifying, his knees would be knocking. Well, anybody that knows Mark, I mean, he's sitting in there wound for sound and ready to go. So
2: GC is something else. Yeah,
1: they they let him go and uh, <laughs> they got Lenny Pond. He had a sponsor. He brought us Jim Testa yeah. with him. and. Larry was not a very patient man when it come to – when it come to drivers. Yeah. And, you know, he had some for a long time, and he had some for a very short time. mm mm-hmm. And so, anyway, he got him – or when he let – when he got rid of Lenny, we got we got Tommy Ellis, and I kind of knew him. He was like a fireball that my yeah. dad had raced against. Right. And he kind of fit – he kind of fit Larry's style. Yeah.
2: How come you don't think Tommy made it in the cup?
1: <sighs> I don't think we were quite – we were quite good enough mm-hmm. then at the time and quite ready. Uh, you know we're building a team and we're trying to learn, and Larry's uh, Larry's trying to let me learn. Yeah. And uh, just had a few conflicts of interest. Yeah. But but I think Tommy really could have made it in Cup if he could stu- if he could stuck with it. He was talented. He ain't kidding. Um, was he?
2: Uh, you know he was a, he does have a reputation as a fireball and, and a hothead or or short temper kind of guy. Was he impatient with some of the program? Uh, or was he pretty he was understanding he, about where y'all he, were? He, he
1: understood where we were, and yeah. he understood where he was, but he was a, a very competitive person, and, and he wanted to win and run up front and, and uh, actually, we had a couple of pretty good runs with him, just didn't get the finish we needed, mm-hmm. but um, then uh, then his days were done yeah. at Morgan McClure.: who came next? Rutman?
2: Rutman. So Rutman was an interesting guy. Yeah. Uh, I always felt like that he would get uh he could take a car and get more yeah out of it there's not a lot of guys that could do that there's yep. the good good race car drivers mm-hmm. i think like myself or or a lot of guys if your car can run fifth i'll run fifth yeah but there was a couple guys that could take that fifth place car and run third or run yep. second and i think rutman was one of those yeah um but he had this weird personality i'll tell you one thing that changed the way i think about Ruttman uh <laughs> We were at I might have told this story before but we were at um Pocono and it rained and they pulled the cars down pit road and the cars mm-hmm. was all lined up out there. This is probably 1994. You know, Dad's a four or five six time champion. Mm-hmm. He he's he's you know, he demands a level of respect. Mm-hmm the they told me to go out there and pull the cover off the car so i got a suit on i'm I'm like 15 16 years old right and i'm doing whatever they'll tell me to do i'm I'm wanting them to tell me to do stuff right i remember them days yeah and so i run out there and i'm getting getting the cover off the car and rutman comes walking out on pit road walking by the car and i don't know if he knew who i was but he looks at the side of daddy's car and it's and it it's got some donuts on it, and he looks at it and looks at me and goes, That guy right there looks like he's ran into everybody out there <laughs> and said something like that. And I was like, What a hole, yeah. Um, but anytime I hear Ruttman, that's what I think about, yeah. Um, but,
1: but Joe Ruttman wasn't a hole, though. I don't know, was he? right? Was, was he? An I don't like to call people that, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Joe was Joe didn't have the personality. Of a lot of people that I dealt with in my life, I mean, he yeah. was um, he he was different. Yeah, but he was a good race car driver. Very good. Yeah. Um. You know, his dad was his family mm-hmm. had
2: incredible racing history and success. He gets in that two car after dad left uh, in '81 and almost won Richmond. Remember, he mm-hmm. spun down the front straightaway, he got yeah. flats or something. I think I think that was the ra- the race that Marcus won, mm-hmm. and that was the caution that brought out the yeah. the yellow. Uh, so I mean he would uh, he was he, he was a good driver.
1: He had it one.
2: Had it one. Yeah. Right. Um so he's driving y'all's car. Y'all had some pretty good runs with Rutman. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then what happened?
1: Well, again, uh I guess a conflict of interest. Yeah. Uh and he had been he had been offered a Bernstein ride for the following year. Oh really? Yeah. And uh he thought that was a Way better equipment than what we had, and he chose to take that. And uh, that wasn't the prettiest ending uh, of anything in my career. What uh, happened? Just he, him and him and Larry kind of butted heads at the end, and and uh, there were some hurt feelings, and you know some some remarks made back and forth that and, really weren't the best. Yeah.
2: Then Rick Wilson comes in. Mm-hmm. Rick count. Uh, Rick comes into the car, and that's when y'all kind of started. Running up front,
1: yeah. That's when we got <clears throat> Rick came in, and uh, he brought he brought an Osmo Osmobile deal with him. Okay, so we, we got factory support and way more equipment and way better stuff than we had had. And uh,
2: when did y'all get? Um, who's building the motors?
1: At that point in time, different people. Yes. We were getting them from Prototype. We uh, we were getting them from Mike Fryer. We got a motor from Petty. Uh, earlier before that, we got a lot of motors from Junior. Uh, when Tommy drove for us, we had Horns and Eanes in Richmond build them. We just had a, a lot of different people building yeah. them. And then I guess, I don't know if it was 88 or 89, probably 89, Larry hired Jack Russell, who was had worked for Fowett, and he was building motors for Buddy Baker. And so he started our first engine program. Mm-hmm. And then very shortly after that, Larry hired Rump Pittman.
2: Yeah, that name is one we're going to talk about a little bit here. But so, Rick... When Rick comes onto the scene with his own car, he qualifies in the top ten. Mm-hmm. You know, shows some real good speed. They yeah. go to date. They, they go to Talladega and other racetracks, and and he would haul ass. And uh, it was a family car. Mm-hmm. And so there was this. Uh, he was a prospect, um, and 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 right around the time he joined y'all's team. Yeah, this is like his first real break. Mm-hmm. And he had some, you know, almost could have, should have. Mm-hmm. Kind of runs where you know y'all had a couple second place finishes and so forth. But what kind of race car driver was Rick?
1: Rick was Rick fit more like what Larry was like. What Larry liked, mm-hmm. he was a hard charger. Um, you know, we we led we led some races. Um, you know, I, I remember at Charlotte one time in the World Six Hundred. We had almost a lap lead with 40 to go and blew a right front tire. That was the year when, uh, when it was a big tire debacle yep. and everybody in the field ran Hoosiers. Yep. But Marcus was the only guy on Goodyear's. And, and we, we, we we I mean we actually had that race won and yeah. blew a tire and knocked a wall down and we had we should have won the Firecrackers two two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were running second and uh, blew a right front tire out with like three to go and hit the wall and was going to win that. And then I think the next year we run second to Beal and about like that. And we had a faster car than him. We just probably waited a little bit too late to make the move. But, but Rick, was, Rick was really a good uh, hard charger, and uh, our team was getting better. We were getting our pit crew better and getting ready to, you know, I think to go to the next level, and again, he got another offer, and he thought it was a better offer, and decided to move.
2: They uh, got they, he had a great experience. Yeah, he
1: had a great experience, and they, you know, they wanted to to race together, and and Rick actually at that point in time when he went to drive for Raymark, he like they offered me a lot of money to come and do that deal, and with Rick, go no, with him. Yeah, and Rick really wanted me to go with him, but at that point in time, I was not ready to leave the team that I loved. And so I decided to stick around, and and I'm glad I stuck around a few more years.
4: Well, let me ask you about that, because earlier you said that you planned to only go there a year, and you only went anywhere for a year, and I was curious why that is, and then what changed Larry? Well,
1: what changed it was in in 84 was uh, I met Christy actually at Michigan. She was from my hometown, and she was at a race with, with her uncle, Scott, who later started to, to help me. And anyway, I met her, and it was like game on from day one. And we wound up uh, married in 85 and had two beautiful children after that. And um, I didn't want to move her, and I didn't want to move my girls. I didn't want to leave my dad. You know, I had yeah. a lot of reasons that kept me at Morgan McClure for a long time. Yeah. Plus, I love Morgan McClure. I love that team.
2: Yeah, Rick goes to Raymott. Yep. And then who's the next guy y'all hired?
1: The next guy we get is Phil Parsons.
2: And so this was – we've had Phil on the show.
1: Yeah.
2: Phil, Phil will tell you that, you know, he was excited about that opportunity, but he had had some surgery, cataract that's mm-hmm. right. surgery. That's right. And that there was – you know, that sent rumors throughout the garage that he had some eyesight issues. Yeah. And so he – and he was – he only lasted a handful of races. Three races. Three races. Yeah which he would he would eventually and he had just come out of the 55 card mm-hmm. won his first race at talladega uh he talked about how he had pretty good pretty good seasons there um and so this is like a big step for him um what do you remember about that whole time and that experience that well, short, <clears throat> brief time that phil was there
1: i remember we had just come from having rick wilson i mean a a hard-charging gas guy that, you know, um, all the guys on the team loved, you know, fit in well with the team. And we got Phil, and Phil was a little bit, I guess maybe more laid back a little bit. And um, we went to Daytona, and uh, I was excited about working for Phil, really, to be quite honest with you. We went to Daytona, and I think we run – third or fourth in in the 125, and we could not get our car driving good. We could not get it tight enough. And we'd always, with Rick, thought we had good handling cars at Daytona. That was kind of one thing that made us run good. We had our cars driving good. And we just could not get it tight enough. And in the race, we wound up and got in a wreck that really wasn't Phil's fault. Um, We go to Richmond, and we... Wrecked in practice, a brand new car, and we wrecked in a race, a brand new car. And we went to and Am and didn't run very good. Like I said, Larry was not a very patient man when it comes to drivers. And he called me in the office and said, don't go home after work today. Phil's coming up and we're going to talk. And he said, when he gets here, I'm going to make a change. Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: Did he know that he was going to hire Ernie? He didn't. No. So, did, did you
4: have a sense of any of this stuff coming, going on?
1: No, I just know um, I know him and Runt would ride back and forth to the race together, and I know they uh. talked about coming home from Richmond how bad we run, and then went to Rockingham and or we wrecked two cars and went to Rockingham, and I think we finished like 14th, but you know not yeah. where we wanted to be, and uh, I think Larry just decided that you know he wasn't going to spend a lot of time on that path. He was ready to make a move and uh, and I hated it because I really was looking forward to working with Phil and and I think we would have got to where we wanted to go. Yeah. Uh but but I guess everything happens for a reason and then sure. when he hired um when he let Phil go I said and we had talked about it, I wanted to get Ernie when Rick left. That that was my pick. And we couldn't make that happen with sponsors and everything else. So we wound up with Phil and um Again, I think that would have worked if we could have if we could have stayed the course. Mm-hmm. But we talk, we got Ernie and we decided to take him to Atlanta for a test. And we took him down there and it and they had been they'd already been testing for like two days. And it and the morning we got there it was raining. And they finally got the track dry enough that we could go out. And when he did, he was about a half second quicker than anybody had run the previous two days. And then it started raining again. And uh, I said, "Man, need to bring that thing on in here and." And I'm like tickled to death, and <laughs> and uh, Larry said, "All right, it's the ride's yours." And so we go back to Atlanta, and we run third. We had to start by points, and we had to start. It rained out qualifying, and we had to start. I don't know, thirty-fifth or something. And uh, the whole race went green almost the whole way, and we wound up and run third. Wow. And uh, that I'm like, this this cat can drive. You had yeah. your wheel man at that point. He was. Did we you, had. A,
2: do yeah. you remember the race, or or do you remember anything that stood out? Uh, about Ernie before
1: he came to drive for y'all they're a race yeah actually actually uh during Hugo yeah he drove he that year he was driving DK's car yeah and it probably it probably wasn't you know the best car or the best funded car on the racetrack I'll say and um, I think the week before he had run like fifth at Wilkesboro and then he got in it during Hugo I remember uh, I remember Ernie telling me the story that he had changed right rear spring in the car and put a stiffer right rear in it, and the crew chief wasn't there own county, Hugo, and then when Bob Johnson got there the next day and found out, I think he found out during the race that he had changed the right rear spring, I mean, he about blew a, blew a gasket, but th- they wound up and run fifth, mm-hmm. and so both those two races, I'm like, wow, if this guy gets a shot, he can do something, yeah. and later on in the year at Richmond, we wound up at the same hotel and was standing outside uh, Saturday afternoon. And he said, you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah, we'll have, have a beer. And we, I don't know, we sat there and talked for like 30 minutes. And I'm like, this is this is who I want to drive our race car. This guy's, this is my kind of guy. Yeah.
2: He was wild uh, and, and rough, but had uh, kind of a no-fear attitude yeah. you're talking about a guy on the gas
1: yes sir uh he was on it if you wanted your car dyno all you had to do was bolt him in it yeah. and <laughs> you knew how fast it was going to go that was it there wasn't nobody in the garage area going to get in it and go no faster i remember
2: i don't i don't <laughs> remember that run at northwoodsboro but i remember at bristol uh yeah they he, left him out on tires and yeah. he led the field
1: i forgot about that and blew yeah. a tire blew a right
2: yeah. front and uh I was like, damn, because I, kn- I mean, yeah. that car run thirtieth on the, you know, twenty-fifth, thirtieth on a yeah. good week, and he was out there. They that that car never ran the same again, you know, yeah. without him in it. Yeah. Uh, but that was a that was a eye-opener right there when he took DK's car and ran so good. So he gets in the car, and right out of the gate, uh, y'all are where you want to be. Things are going well. Mm-hmm. Um, you ran the Oldsmobile the rest of the year, right? You we we
1: run the we run the Oldsmobile until I'm going to say after Michigan, the second Michigan. Yeah. Chevrolet wanted Ernie, mm-hmm. and so they hired us to help win the manufacturer championship that year. Oh. So we switched cars like right before Bristol, yeah. and we won the race at Bristol in a Chevrolet, and that was enough cushion. It it wound up being enough cushion at the end of the year that if they hadn't have done that. If we'd have still been Oldsmobile, they wouldn't have won the manufacturer championship. That's interesting.
2: So uh Ernie also, as good as he was, uh he had he had some flaws and had to clean it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, the couple wrecks at Daytona and Talladega and the meeting, the driver's meeting where he gets yeah. up in front of everybody. I mean, I know you guys were had his back the whole time. Yeah. Um, but what was what was it kind of like watching him go through that process and change as a driver? <sighs>
1: well it was it was interesting and and not only that but he had some personal things going on at the time uh mm-hmm. so uh we had we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of different stuff going on but from day one i mean I truly believed one hundred percent in ernie and and i think he he believed in you know in our team at the time and and <clears throat> we had we didn't win as many races as we should have we You know, we crashed some that we had a shot at winning. We blew up some when we had a shot at winning. And we uh, didn't do the job on pit road sometimes. So, uh, you know, we could have won a lot more races with Ernie. And I'm kind of, I kind of wish we, you know, I kind of feel bad about that. I feel like we left some some stuff on the table.
2: Yeah. So, when does Ernie come tell y'all that he's going to take a new ride?
1: Well, actually, what had happened was. Me and Steve Mill were kidding each other one day at, uh, I think at at Michigan, and I told I'd went up with Steve and told Ernie that I was leaving, and we made a joke out of yeah. it, and uh, me and Ernie had made a deal that we were going to be together. If we won a championship. I mean we we're going to stick around till we win a championship together, and uh, so anyway, me and Steve Mill done that and played you know playing a trick with Ernie and uh, Davey and Ernie had got into it. Ern Davey had wrecked us at Michigan, and then we went to, after that, we went to Indy to do that first tire test at Indy. And we bout we almost got in a fight at Indy, to be honest How? with you. What do you mean? What, happen, what happened? Why were they about to fight? Well, because Davey wrecked us in the race.
2: Uh, at Michigan? Yeah. And so when you show up to tire test at Indy, you just walk into the garage and just going to?
1: Well, I mean, there's still some hard feelings. Yeah, and Ernie didn't let nothing go. Right, you know, did he
2: smart off at him, or what? How did it start? Yeah. How did the conversation? Well, even, I
1: mean, you know, that's uh, he, he, he. I don't know. I think he told Davy if he run into him again, he's going to
5: whoop him. Going to whoop him. Yeah. Yeah. And and they and then little, then s- you know how that goes yeah.
1: back and forth. But anyway, he didn't. He didn't. Ernie didn't like Davy at that point in time. And and I'd known Davy my, you know. My whole life, basically, and uh, I was kind of hoping they would patch stuff up. And we're at Loudon, and we're sitting on the bench after practice, and we're talking. And I was sitting there talking to Davey, and er- and Ernie walked up, and they almost they almost talked, they almost, <laughs> talk, but they but they're, but they're still drivers. Yeah, and they're, so they they're still drivers, you know. <laughs> so anyway, we all know what happened with Davey the following the following week, and Ernie. Oh
4: man. That was a week later. Yeah, so that, I think, and so Ernie,
1: I called Ernie after I found out about it, and I said, "Man, you need to go to that funeral. You really need to go to that funeral." And he's like, "I don't like funerals because he had had one of his, one of his buddies, Tim, uh, Tim Wilson, or no, Tim Williamson, get killed at Riverside, mm-hmm. and so he hated funerals." And he's like, "I'm, I don't want to go," and I said, "Ernie, you need to. You really need. It's, you know, you really just need to do that. That's the right thing to do." And he said, "I'll go if you'll go with me." He said, "I'll fly, out and take my plane, and come up there and get you." And I said, "All right." Well, the next morning, I'm running behind on the car, so the next morning, I called him. I said, "Ernie, I I can't go. I just I I got too much work to do." And so Ernie goes to the funeral and comes back, and I guess after the funeral or the next day or whenever, I guess Ford Motor Company approached him. And Robert Yates approached him, and Larry was in the middle of a contract. Him and Ernie was in the middle of an extension. Mm-hmm. He still had one more year re- remaining on his contract, and we were going to re-sign him. And so they had been going back and forth for about a month on it. And I'm getting all antsy, and I'm like, "Let's get this deal done, guys. Let's let's get it put to bed." And uh, th- they had agreed on everything, and then we get a phone call. I get a phone call from Ernie, I think he called Larry first. And then I get a phone call from Ernie, and he said, uh, you remember when you told me you was leaving the other day as a joke? And I said, yeah. And he's like, I'm leaving, and it ain't no joke. I'm going to drive the 28. Damn. And that's what I said. Ooh. You talk about um, I just lost my mother. I was going going through a divorce. I think I just got divorced like two weeks before that. Mm. And then Ernie tells me he's leaving, and I'm like, my whole world shattered. So anyway, he agreed to stay the balance of the year, and he said, I'll sit out next year. If they don't let me out of my contract, I'll sit out and go run Indy cars or something. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we went I don't know, we run a couple more races, and it was just that you could cut the tension with a knife. Mm. You know, I mean, it was just not a good situation. And we went to Bristol and wound up and got got in a wreck in a race and wound up and overheated and blew the motor up. And Larry said, that's it. I'm going to let him go now. And he did, and so we plugged around for the rest of the year with different drivers and, uh, you know, finished the year, and obviously we went – our performance went way down when he left for the balance of the year. Mm -hmm.
4: You seemed hurt about that. Uh, Did you – when you say there's tension, did you and Ernie ever make amends on that, or did you guys ever express, you know, or at least come to peace at it, or did that take a while?
1: No, I think it – we were okay I mean I wasn't okay with it I mean they just you know somebody had just taken my driver I hell no I wasn't happy about it uh but you know me and him had made a pact Definitely. and you've been through that with people mm-hmm. you know what it's like and when when that got split up i was i mean my feelings were hurt and, yeah. I, and I was I was mad but uh, I'm not good with grudges and but anyway me and ernie kind of made peace and we talked but I still wanted to you know, he was my number one target to beat from then on, and um, you know we went to Daytona the next year and we took Sterling and beat Ernie, in the 500 and, and Ernie actually come and congratulated me. <laughs> that's, and, uh, a, that's nice. And when Ernie got hurt in Michigan, I went to the hospital and I sit there with Kim that night, even though he wasn't driving our car.
4: Yeah, that happened not too long after, and I would
2: imagine that probably hurt you as well. I mean, like, yeah. I mean he he should have died. Yeah goodness so um i don't remember all i don't remember him getting cut loose early yeah but
1: uh i think there were seven i don't know maybe seven races yeah. to go in the season yeah. and we finished out with uh, golly we we got purvis for, for a short stint um we got joe Nemechek for a couple of races and then uh, we got jimmy hensley for the last race in atlanta
2: yeah uh you end up hiring Sterling marlin yeah how did that all come about who wanted to hire Sterling?
1: Well, that's that's a long story. When uh, my dad used to race against Sterling, mm-hmm. and uh, my first year in Cup was Sterling's first year in Cup, and uh, I think in Riverside, California, we talked in a in a uh, Burger King or something one morning, and um, I found out he was a big UT fan, <laughs> and I was a big UT fan, mm-hmm. so we for the next ten years or eight years or however how long it was, that's all we talked about was you know, how the balls were doing, and and we become pretty good buddies, and um, so we had that side of the mix going, and then uh, Starland actually drove for Hoss, and Runt Pittman was the crew chief, and Runt thought an awful lot of him, and Runt, Whole big deal was winning for plate races. Yeah. <laughs> he he loved plate racing. Yeah. Larry McClure loved plate racing. I loved plate <laughs> racing. That was that was our uh, that was our strong suit, and Sterling was really really good at it. Even though he hadn't won a race, he could uh, he took a lot of different cars and run second. And he run second to us. I don't know three or four different times uh, in the four car. And uh, uh, we more I think everybody in agreement. Me, Larry, and Runt, we all wanted Sterling yeah. for a driver.
2: Runt Pittman, Pittman was kind of uh, well respected for building great motors, especially the motors that ran over at uh, Daytona and Talladega. Yeah. What were some of the things that set him apart? What were some of the reasons why? What did, what made his motors excel?
1: Well, he was just a very very good engine guy, and and, uh, and and like I say, they worked really hard at it. I mean, we probably put I don't I shouldn't say more, but we put a lot of effort into Speedway racing, yeah. probably enough that it hurt our other programs a little bit by putting too much into it but but we got rewarded for it but Runt was Runt was an old school guy and he knew he knew every aspect about building an engine and like I say he worked hard at it and Runt wasn't afraid to push it to the limit you know like I think at the time I think you know some of the other engine builders that maybe that your dad had worked with and stuff they would they might get a 90 percent out of they might run the motor at 90%. Well, Runt run his stuff on keel. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, you could ask him, what kind of tune up you got today, Runt? he said, she's on keel.
2: Y'all also spent a lot of time on exhaust and, I mean, yeah. all kinds of, you know, hours on a engine or on a chassis dyno, yeah. building different configurations. And y'all's cars would sometimes sound different than other cars. And, yeah. Uh, and just specifically at Daytona and Talladega, trying to find mm-hmm. an extra. Horsepower, or another pound of torque.
1: Yeah, yeah. That uh, in '95 we went to Daytona with that, and that's a that's kind of a of a that's kind of an odd story. um Larry and Runt would take any idea that anybody had, and I think this is, this is what helped our program. So if somebody told them something would make two horsepower, send it in your we'll dyno, we'll try it. Yeah. And this guy told them, he said, "I've got a I've got an exhaust system." that will make your plate motors run better, or make all your motors run better. And we're ready to go to Daytona. I mean, we are basically ready to go to Daytona. And so the guy, he flies it in, and they put the piece on the dyno, rig up the tailpipes, put them on the dyno, and we got to be ready to go the next night. I always went to, when I got to work in the morning during plate season, I went to the dyno room. And I looked at the dyno sheets from what they had run the night before because they, the engine room worked a, a lot at night. Mm-hmm. And so I would go in there and see what they had done. And I went in there and seen a number I hadn't seen before. <laughs> and Larry McClure walked, he he typically got there about 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. And he gets there at 7.30 that morning. he says, come here. And I'm like, what do you got, Larry? And he said, you got to see these dyno sheets. And I'd always kid him and say, is that a Miller Lite runner or is that a Jack and Coke run? <laughs> because the Jack and Coke run has got a little bit more power. Yeah. And he said, this is legit. We, we've got to have it. Well, at that point in time, like I either – I've had a lot to do with making the tailpipes, uh, among – with other people. And so this is we – gotta we got to be loaded this night that night, mm-hmm. and uh, which meant I had to make two sets of tailpipes. So I fly under the car – Tack up a set of tailpipes and then I slide it out to Mark and he welds them all together and I'm making another set for for the other car. And so uh we barely fired it up that night when we got the car done, just barely fired it up. And when we get to Daytona, the first time we fired it up down there, nobody's really ever heard how it sounded. Right. And it even was, y'all. Even us. Yeah. That's I mean amazing. we did. Yeah. You know, and we fired that thing up and I mean, man, everybody was like Phew! <laughs> you know won't know what was going on it made and,
4: major news.
1: I mean, I remember yeah. as a race
4: fan the the yeah. sound of y'all 's motors was yeah. news uh because it was so fast as well, yeah. but it sounded so different
1: yeah and and like I say, it's really a tribute to to Larry and Runt and them because they would try anything but yeah. but but this Boyd Butler was the guy's name from dr Gas, yeah, and uh and Dr. if you'll Bass. go on the website today, you'll still see, you'll still see, because I showed somebody last year, you'll still see, you'll see that on there about the four car and yeah. the sound.
2: Did, and so y'all ran it, then did everybody get it? No,
1: we had a, we cut a deal with him that nobody could get it for one year. Uh-huh. And so actually, the whole week we was at Daytona, every time we changed motors, we had blankets around the tailpipes. And I remember Andy Petrie and Steve Neal. Everybody was trying to get under there and look. And oh man, tell me what this is. And I'm like, nope. Yeah. So anyway, if you were
2: to see it from the exterior, could you tell what what it was?
1: Not really. Right. So we had it. We had it boxed in. Right.
2: So what was what was so unique about the pipe that made the difference?
1: It was they just both of the tailpipes come together and they had like a little half moon uh-huh. cut out. That and it just it just made the it just made it work better. It was about five horsepower. How
2: did, do you know how that guy figured this out?
1: I don't have a clue. Yeah. He just called, and said he had something. He said, "Bring it on, we'll try." It. Y'all
2: had never ran an X pipe. Nobody. It always been that. It always been that two, right?
1: It had always been one out each side.
2: Yeah, but wasn't it joined in the center
6: by? Yeah.
1: By it was, joined in, it was joined by a balance tube, they call it. Right. But what was that? Well, over? this configuration come back, and it went over, yeah, it and did. they touched each other. Yes. It's what they still run today. Right. A lot of people. Okay. Interesting. But and, and that's what
4: made it sound different, too? Yeah. And, how, and so you were able to keep that? Because that was just restrictor
1: plate races, right? We tried it other places, but I didn't. It didn't work. I wasn't all that big of a fan of it other places. I mean, it wasn't no big deal. I just kind of. You know, Daytona and Talladega was enough, but um but but Larry made a deal with that with that with him that nobody else got it for a year, and then the next year IROC got it, and they had a car get upside down at Daytona, and it was on the cover of Stock Car Magazine. Then,
4: Goodness gracious! And so then everybody got it. <laughs> yeah, that's how. I mean, nobody was onto that until then. That is amazing. That's so unheard of to be able to keep that secret that that long.
1: long. Well, that was one good thing about about Morgan McClure being in Abingdon, Virginia. We were the only team within, you know, two hundred miles. Yeah. And so our guys couldn't go to the bar at night and talk to, you know, (laughs) talk to everybody else until they got to the track. Yeah. You know, but and we didn't have people leaving um, to go to work across the street either.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna just ask the question. So I, I heard that some of y'all's plate motors were pulling air. Never,
1: totally untrue. Really, I will say this. I, like I say, I went in the engine room a lot. Yeah. And I was in there after when, when when they run the motors, I'd go in there in the morning. I crew chiefed. It. I called the race. There was no, there was no levers, no nothing to push, jerk this, turn that knob. None of this. Yeah. And to my knowledge, and and I can I can say this till the day I die, Runt was an innovator. He was a very smart man, and he would put it on keel. I don't know if Runt wanted to cheat all that much or not. Yeah. Now, Larry, if it had been totally up to him, we would have cheated on everything yeah. because he loved that. Yeah. But, no, we did not.
2: Well, y'all inspired me because I was um, – I thought <laughs> that – I heard that y'all had drilled out the valve cover studs into mm-hmm. the – into the intake nope and so uh i had a freeze cap or something in the back of the back of my intake mm-hmm. and i had a hole drilled in it and i could turn yeah. that hole and line it up with a little system where it would bleed yeah. what car would, would you be talking about a late mall stop yeah
5: no it'd whistle like hell That was kicked you know. out of
2: three racetracks for that whole yeah. thing no, you <laughs> can hardly do it because it makes such, it loud it was loud when it was pulling out whistle
1: I, i'm gonna be honest with you after the Morgan McClure days. There were some times that I was with teams that we did some stuff with the carburetors yeah. that made them idle like stupid crazy, like they were sucking air. Mm-hmm. But in, 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 I, in all truth, and I'll swear this on anything, yeah. we never cheated on the motors. If they did, I, I didn't, know about, didn't it, know about it. And I think I would have known about it. I believe it. you. I know they didn't idle 5,000 RPM.
2: Yeah. What is that all about? Why would they, why, why the carburetors you're talking about? What, is, what, were, what were they doing?
1: Well, they just they had some they had some deals on carburetors that that would trick the restrictor plate. Oh, and um, but but they idle like they idle like wow high yeah like really high. you know. And we never won a race like that. We sit on some poles like that, yeah. but we never won a race like that. Hey, explain this to me though. You go. You got to get your car
4: inspected every week. How does how do you guys keep your secrets even when NASCAR officials can keep eyes on them? And I know you work for NASCAR, so. But my point is is that yeah, you guys being in Virginia at the time, there's not people there's not conversations going at the bars, but again, I'm so blown away at the fact that you guys kept that that secret that there are other people that do get to the privilege of seeing what you have under that car, right? And so, how do you keep that from becoming elite?
1: NASCAR's always been pretty good about their officials not telling what everybody else has got. They've always did a pretty good job at that. And um you know, like I say, we we kind of kept everything to ourselves, and we didn't, you know, we didn't hang out with a lot of the teams.
2: Yeah. Plus, I think, I mean, you know, not that, you know, when you bring something new, it don't, it ain't something where the official looks at it and goes, "Oh, that's different." You know, they just, not that they don't know what they're looking at, but sometimes they don't know what they're looking at. Yeah. You know.
1: And I'm gonna be honest with you, there was a lot of like the one the the in '95 when we had the doctor gas, we could have run. We might could have run two four-barrels and got away with it because ever, all people cared about on that car was, was the exhaust system. Yeah. We could have done anything else we wanted to, and nobody would ever notice. Yeah. But the, the, we, had, we had, in plate racing, we had a lot of success, and we had really, really, really good motors. Yeah. But so did Robert Yates and Rick Hendricks and, you know, Childress and everybody else. But we got on getting, a, getting the back of the car down a little bit earlier than everybody else. And we, and I'm going to say this, we lucked up on a setup, basically. How? Just trying stuff. We tested a lot, and we hit a setup that drove good and was a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. And so we wound up and run that for a a long time. And I always said in in plate racing, you had to have a really good driver, you had to have a really good car that drove good, and you had to have a good motor. And for about a six-year time, in, in my lifetime, we had really, really good motors, we had a car that drove good, and we had good cars, and we had really good plate drivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So um, Petrie brought us a deck lid, where do you know, it's back there still in it. Mm-hmm. You remember the, you heard about the deck lid that Petrie made? Yeah. Where it had the hydraulics in it? Mm-hmm. Have, have, is there anything, so we like to talk about innovation, is there anything in your career that you created you modified that might have been pushing the rules a little bit is there
1: anything out there yeah we had a um the, the 95 car i'm talking about we had an inspection deck lid that got through one station yeah that wouldn't pass the next station and we had a but they never checked this station ever again and then we had another deck lid that was legal for this station so we would physically go through inspection get turned down Go to the garage area, take one deck lid off, walk to the hauler, do a little sanding, do a little spray paint, do a little painting, spend a couple hours, take the illegal deck lid off, another deck lid that was that was illegal, yeah. and put it on and, and then we're we're good to go. No so kidding. We had some we, we had some stuff like that.
2: So the fact that the stations were separated, mm-hmm. you would intentionally you would put the deck lid on that would pass X Station A, but fail B. Then you mm-hmm. swap deck lids. Yeah. That was gonna fail. Gonna pass B. Yeah. Right. Because you didn't have to go back through A. You didn't A have to A go again. back yeah. through A again. Mm. So you know,
1: and just little stuff like that. And then, like, uh, we were the first team to start uh, when they first put side skirts on them. Mm-hmm. They were the width of the frame rail. Okay. Yeah. And we was the first team to bring them all the way out to the edge of the body. Yeah. And I've got pictures of cars we had in that, you know, it'll show the other cars that the, the side skirts are, are inboard and ours are out. all the way out, and that was about two-tenths. Yeah,
2: that's a lot, because you, you put, basically flatten the whole side yeah. out of the car, and now you got side force that guys yeah. didn't even talk about, yeah. the side force back yeah. then. I remember when I ran in the Xfinity Series, the, the year before me they had round sides, and then my – my mm-hmm. with the rocker with the side skirts underneath, way underneath, and in the year the first year I raced, we had the flat sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how recent that that happened, at least
1: in the Xfinity series. Um, I remember a t- I remember a time in your career when y'all were really dominating. Mm-hmm. You know that deal goes in cycles, yeah. you know. But y'all were dominating all yeah. the plate races, and I remember hearing you talk about somebody's car, and I don't remember if it was up or down. You're like, yeah, that car's going to qualify okay, but it won't race good because of the fuel cell. Yeah. I know you talked about four people's fuel cells were. Yeah. As to how you could draft with them or how they would run in the race. Yeah. What did you think they had happened upon uh, that made their plate program so good? The same thing that we did uh, five five years earlier. Yeah. They had a hell of a plate racer. They had good motors, and they had good cars. Yeah, Richie and drove good.
2: <laughs> yeah. We had Richie Gilmore too. Yeah, he always he could he had a he had a he had he had something uh, about intakes. Yeah, remember when he was when they were doing? Remember, uh, I I can't remember exactly all the details, but Richie was building motors for Hendrick. Back around when Derek Cope won the Daytona Five Hundred, mm-hmm. they got into a little bit of trouble with some intakes. Yeah, um, and I think what I think they kept the same sort of idea Mm-mm. and method, but built it, but made it in, legal in a way that it would be yeah. legal. But they found something down there with intakes, and and uh, and I think that 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 helped them even hmm. when I came along. Um, it's funny you mention about like going to Station A. You know the, the under. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, so Tony Jr. was really good at that too, mm-hmm. uh, understanding how not having to build a uh, intentionally illegal car, but to have an understanding how the inspection process would open up opportunities. Uh, we would do something just as simple as this. So, we go out to pit road to qualify, and we, they're going to go through and put a angle finder on the on the spoiler and set the spoiler, everybody's spoiler got set about five cars away from Mm. being launched to qualify. And so Tony Jr., uh, the the official comes over and puts the angle finder on the, they start on the right, and they move across the spoiler to the left, right? And so Tony Jr., I'm looking, it's supposed to be 45 degrees, right? And it's 50. And so immediately, like, I watched Tony Jr. go through this process with this official, and the official walks away, and I said, Tony Jr., why in the hell was the spoiler at 50 degrees? like well 45 is the rule and he said well if I start really high they're going to let me work it down if it's close to 45 they won't let me loosen it up and and adjust it and he said if I can start at at 50 and they'll let me unloosen the the adjustments and bring the spoiler back down I'm going to set it at 45 on this on the far right edge and as I work across and set each station or each mark for mm-hmm. each area at 45, by the time I'm done over here on the left side of the car, the right side's down to 40. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because as you work the whole spoiler down, yeah. all, all it gets lower and lower, right? Because they're all kind of working and fighting against each other. And I was like, no, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> And just little things like that that a lot of people don't think about or a lot of people Who go, would? I finding, cr- finding that's innovation, man.
1: And if you do that five times, yeah. it makes
2: a difference. It does. Yeah. yeah i was telling somebody the other day we're we're trying to we're trying to figure out who's you know we're hiring bummy uh who's the crew chief for josh Mm barry uh he's he's moving up to uh, be our technical director Mm -hmm. we're going to find a crew chief for josh and i'm like josh i want to find you the crew chief that has a list of all the little things right that don't matter don't matter by themselves but when you add all of them together, and he's going to do it to every car, yeah, that stuff adds up. You know, you yeah. you want to have that guy that says, you know, somebody might look at that one thing and go, "Oh man, that's probably not going to matter." But if you had a hundred of them, everything matters. Everything
4: adds How up. How do you find that out about candidates, though?
2: It's tough. Yeah. I mean, you have to. You have who's to willing go to give that your, up? You have to go on your gut sometimes. But, yeah, um, you know, you can do a lot of research by asking about people that have worked with this guy right Was is he a guy that pushed the envelope what he really you know you want a guy that you know you're rolling the car up to the tech shed and you're pretty damn nervous it's gonna fail Mm -hmm. you know you don't want to roll a car up there that you're like oh no we're not in no trouble Mm -hmm. we're gonna get through here easy no i want the damn thing i want you to be worried
4: hey some of the best innovators the as we've had stories being taught at this table is it like it's it's one thing to have the idea it's the other thing to be able to go through the inspection process and not give it up but but Mm -hmm. just by the way you act and so i'm curious on some of those things that you were mentioning is that you were proud of you know whether it was you know the deck did, did did uh did it affect you or were you able to play the poker game well enough uh
1: no, we were, we, we were able to play the poker game.
2: <laughs> yeah. Y'all, did. was there an intent to why y'all painted y'all's
1: chassis flat black? Yeah, we could get away with a lot more. Yeah, we uh, could, you, you can't see nothing. can't see nothing. And I'll be honest with you, I, and I, I loved it. I mean, I started that. And we actually, our, it's funny you say that. Our, the four cars, they were actually, and Larry had to do this to the bottom of them, the bottom of them were painted with a gun and they were really shiny. Everything else was semi-flat with a rattle can.
2: No kidding. Yeah. A rattle can. With a
1: rattle can. The whole top the whole, of the chassis. The, all everything. Yes, sir. Unreal. Yeah.
2: I have a connection to satin black chassis because yeah. Robert G's, mm. all his chassis, all the dirt cars and stuff were satin black. And so, Um. but I, when I, I didn't really notice that or think about that back in the mid nineties when y'all were doing that with the yeah. Kodak car. But a boy came, Scott Legacy came with that, mm-hmm. with this car to the Xfinity series and Everybody had dove gray chassis. Everybody, I thought it was almost a rule to have it. Um, and we had a red, we had a red short track car chassis. But he, uh, but Legacy showed up with this car and it was black and you couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Shit. You'd look mm-hmm. in there and be like, I can't <laughs> even. I, everything's just bl- everything yeah. just blurs together. Yeah, yeah. He, he
4: was was, he, Legacy was running for um for that team. He drove it. He yeah, drove the car. Drove but it.
2: I just remember that was the last flat. Then they, I think because of that car, they yeah. might have made it a rule. Now yeah. you have to have a. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, that car, that particular car I'm talking about, was the reason they made that rule. And it also had tinted windows. Every window in it was tinted. And uh, it really looked good. I mean, a black, I mean, a a black windows with a yellow car. I mean, it looked really, it really stood out. Mm -hmm. But you could, you could stand there and look inside of it and you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't see nothing. And then the drivers got to complaining
8: that, see through it.
1: that they couldn't see through it, yeah. so they made us get rid of the windows, and then eventually they made us get rid of the the black. What were
2: you, what were some things that you could do to the interior sheet metal or the car to, you know, with that black, with the black paint? What what were some of the things you were able to get <laughs> you, aggressive with?
1: You could with the floorboards with the with so the,
2: moving the floorboard was a big deal. Yeah, right. Getting it lower. Yeah. Or.
1: Yeah, we th- there was just a just a lot of things you could mess with. Yeah, you know when... And um, they they just couldn't see it. Yeah. Man.
2: Help me understand what led to you leaving Morgan.
1: Well, that's a long story, too. But uh, basically, like I said, I'd worked there for 13 years. And I loved that team. I still do. You know, uh, the, the Larry McClure was like a dad to me. There come a point in my life that I wanted to – I was a crew chief, okay, and I'm getting uh, – we've won races, we're doing good, everything's good, and I'm like – this crew, chief, this crew chief deal ain't going to last forever. You know, it's going to flame out before long, Where I'm going to flame out. Mm-hmm. So I've got to, what's the next thing I can do? What's the next chapter? Uh, I don't have the money to be an owner unless somebody will, you know, let me be part owner. Uh, maybe I could be a team manager. And so anyway, people had tried to hire me, and I wouldn't leave and, and didn't want to leave. And uh, Felix had been talking to me. And he had offered me to be the crew chief but on one car but be the team manager over all the cars and to share a bonus program with all the cars. So I got to thinking, you know, 20 years from now, which which one of these is going to be the best? Mm -hmm. Also, I got to thinking, we're the only race team around here. If something happens to this race team or something happens to me or our relationship or if we start performing bad, I'm not going to have a job. I'm eventually going to have to move. And so my contract was up at the end of that year. And I don't know, I think around Charlotte time, Felix had talked to me again. And I'd come home from work one day the week before, and, and my wife had a lot of friends in Charlotte. And um, I come home one day, and, and she didn't tell me this till after we moved. But I come home one day, and, and uh, she's crying. And I'm like, what's up? She's like, well, I've heard that they're getting... that." The reason you hadn't, they hadn't give you another contract. They've talked to, to somebody in Charlotte about taking your job, and I'm like, really? She's like, yep. And I said, well, that's interesting. So I go to Charlotte, and Felix is on me again. He said, man, just just come down here and talk to me. And uh, so he called well, me. Was that
2: true though that somebody was they no. were talking to somebody?
1: No. Okay. So anyway, Felix said, come down here and talk to me. And I, and I said, okay. So me and Christy, fl- they flew up there and got us. We went down there and. We basically made a deal that night, and so I went back and told Larry, and that that was hard. That was the hardest thing I've ever done as far as leaving a team, sure. because again, I love those guys. Same thing you went through when you when you left when you left mm-hmm. DEI. I mean, it's it's hard. That's hard to do. Yeah. But at some point in life, you gotta say, all right, this is what's best for me at the next level. And like now, if I were still at the four car, if I I would have had to move to Charlotte. Yeah. whenever they shut down so eventually it was going to have to happen and so I went to work for Felix and I don't know I'd I'd been there about I don't know three months and I come I come home from work one day and my wife she's laughing and uh, I said what's wh- what's so funny and she said well I got to tell you something she said you remember that day you came home and and uh, I was crying and told him that one of my girlfriends had told me that uh, somebody from Charlotte's going to take your job and I'm like yeah she said, I lied. Oh, man. I said, what do you mean you lied? She said, because I knew you were too chicken to go on your own, so I and I wanted to go, so I had to persuade you into going.
2: She's tricked. Yeah. Yeah. She's She persuaded you, hoodooed you.
1: Yeah, she hoodooed You could have been happy about that. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I wouldn't have done it on my own, I don't think. I don't think that I, – I didn't want to move her away from her family or my girls away from her grandparents. I didn't want to leave my dad. And so it took something to inspire me to do it. Yeah. Once I done it, I was glad you, I done it.
2: Yeah. Where you did you laugh when she said? you Oh yeah.
1: Well, what was Larry McClure's?
4: You said it was a difficult conversation, and I have no doubt that it was. That would have been hard. He was family for you, right? Hmm. Um, what was his reaction though?
1: Well, he wasn't very happy. I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. Uh, he wasn't very happy that that happened, and rightfully so. But me and him, I, we had a good conversation that night. Matter of fact, there was a few tears and. Mm-hmm. I thought for a while it was going to be a few punches but but we worked through it, and you know we're i think we're still good friends and have a lot of respect for him.
2: Mm-hmm. How long did you work at Ganassi's? I started it was there at, a long time
1: yeah i- was, I went to work there in ninety seven at the end of ninety six so ninety seven would have been the first season yeah. and uh, then chip took over and uh chip took over in two thousand two yeah, no two thousand one I'm sorry. And I stayed there through 2011.
2: It says you and uh, Robbie didn't work to work well together. You and Robbie Gordon.
1: No. How come? I don't know. I'm not going to blame one particular person. I had one way of doing things, and he had one way of doing things. And you know, he wanted things um, heliarch or TIG welded, and we built. You know, we basically built the frames wire welded, and just
2: just stuff. That like was really what he. Called, <laughs> That's he, the hill he died on, there. Yeah, <laughs> he was
1: um, he was really particular, and, and he was headstrong about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just come from a team winning races, yeah. and uh,
2: but he and he's coming from Indy. he ain't yeah. even NASCAR. He ain't even stock car guy. And he You'd wanted, think he'd come in and be like, "Okay, how's this done? Tell yeah, me what's no, going well,
1: on." no, he had a lot of other ideas, and and probably I was um, later on in life we could have worked together sure. from my side, okay. but at that point in time, I was probably a little bit too bullheaded mm-hmm. too. And I didn't want some you know, some guy coming in from IndyCar Racing going to tell me how to win stock car yeah. races when we'd been doing it. So uh, Felix saw right away that that wasn't going to work. And matter of fact, when we went back to run Bristol, I still had my house in Kingsport. And I spent the night there. And after Bristol, the first Bristol race, I called Felix and I said, "Bet, I know we got a three-year deal, but I ain't coming back. Mm, really? I can't come back. And he said, you come back and I'm making a change. Okay. And so basically he just uh Joe Nemechek and Robbie just swapped Swap deals. deals. And I had to give them my two best cars, but we got uh we got Joe and uh and and today me and Robbie can talk today. Sure. But yeah. We couldn't then.
2: That's interesting. Um so y'all eventually uh hired uh, Morgan or not Morgan but uh Sterling back. Mhm. Was that something that you because you knew him as a driver
1: yeah we had had him as a driver and i'm gonna be perfectly honest with you i i, I mean starling's one of my best friends in the whole mm-hmm. wide world and he's like my brother mm-hmm. but when i left that was you know that was i thought the end of me and him being together
5: at and, Morgan's.
1: yeah, yeah. At, at morgan mcclure and actually uh jerry swites a truck driver he had uh he had been talking to Felix about, man, why don't we get Sterling? Why don't we get Sterling? And so he actually had Jerry go say something to Sterling about it, and we go to Michigan, and me and Felix leave the racetrack, and we go outside to a rest area and meet Sterling and they put the put the deal together right there.
2: Yeah. So before Sterling, though, you, you uh, worked with Kenny Irwin. Yep. Um, and and uh, Kenny was killed at New Hampshire in a practice crash, um, and you described that as probably the, the worst day of – of your professional career.
5: Uh,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
2: I guess, you know, what, what kind of, i would gotten a chance to hang around Kenny just yep. a little bit. Uh, we were both uh, before he became a cup driver. Uh, we were both at Andy Hillenberg's driving school the same day. Really We'd been invited to go over there and Jeff Gordon was kind of a bit of a mentor for Kenny, I guess at some point uh, at least, as Kenny was sort of looking into NASCAR and stock cars, he was getting some advice from, from Jeff because Jeff had kind of came through the same path. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, we're I got told to go over to Andy Hillenberg's. I'm going to drive his cars for a couple of days at a school. They had some regular – you know, they had some school people there, some fans and whatnot doing whatever. Uh, but it was me, Kenny Irwin, and uh, one or two other drivers – Um, professional drivers and I was only 16 or 17 I was driving a street stock car and a legends car but uh, so I got to spend a little bit of time with him there and then you know then he comes on into the sport and is trying to get his trying to get his career going you know I guess just how did you how do you handle that situation how do you personally keep going you know those are when we when we deal with loss in mm. at the track you know when we go to the racetrack and there's a tragedy there's a there's a real there's an open door to to never coming back you know there's a there's a there's a real thought to i don't ever want to be here again right mm. or or i might go do something else or this is just not something i want to be a part of anymore and i don't know that you had those feelings but i think uh it would have been it would have been completely understandable had you had you made a change right how 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 did you kind of not only keep coming back but how did you get your program get everybody together and uh try to wrap everybody's brain around what just what you just went through
1: well i was the crew chief and the, the team leader right so <clears throat> it was my responsibility to get to get everybody back together if they wanted to still be a part of it um obviously Again, that was the the worst day I've ever gone through in my professional career, bar none. I mean, I was a huge Kenny Irwin fan, very huge, and um, I got everybody together, and and, and we talked through it, and uh, really, the best medicine for a racer, you have to be at a, it's like a drugie, is you have to be at the racetrack. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you went through your tragedy, you had to go to Rockingham, right? Yeah. You had to get back to the racetrack, you know, and, and. When you mentioned walking away, uh that would be like suicide to me yeah. because I don't have any other life other than racing, mm-hmm. and so you know, other than my family, everything I have is at the racetrack, yeah, all my friends, you know everything I want to do, uh my passion, everything is at the racetrack, yeah, so I have to be at the racetrack to be to be a functioning person
2: How did you deal with your? responsibility as a team leader how did you deal with any kind of you know feeling any responsibility in what happened that day or him driving that car that's your car right yeah um i know that that i know that you're a human being i know that you're not insulated from yeah. from feeling sadness guilt sorrow all the things um so now how do you personally work through that
1: it took a lot of support to be honest with you from from my wife and kids and my dad. Yeah. You know, they helped me. I was a tough guy at work. Uh they had, they helped me through it when I needed them. Yeah. And and they they helped me get through that. And I'm going to be honest with you, there was never a day when I thought I'm not going to do this anymore. But I'm going to be I'm going to tell you this there was there were a few weeks after that that I could go to the racetrack and I could not watch my car go into the corner. Mm. When it went by on the straightaway, I had to focus on that. I couldn't look. Uh, I yeah. remember going to Indy and testing, and everybody gets out. You know, everybody gets out near the near the wall and stands and watches their car come by. I could watch him come at me, yeah. but when he went off in turn one, I kept looking at turn four. Who
2: in the industry was uh, who in the industry put their arm around you?
1: Mike Helton.
2: Mm. No kidding. Yep. Wow. That don't surprise me.
4: Tony, what w- what about Kenny Irwin? Uh, won you over so well we don't know i i personally don't know uh uh much about him yeah and and i but but the people that were around him are such big advocates yeah. for, for him both as a talent and uh as a person but i you know w- what what was it about
1: him you know i i don't know that's a good question but there will there will be people i know and i know you'll think of them there will be people that you will like man all right if I, if i'm going to go somewhere tonight who do i want to hang out with Okay, he was that guy that you wanted. to, Hey, you want to go do this? Yeah, let's go do that. Well, somebody else asked you. Hey, you want to go? No, do-? nah, I don't feel like it tonight. Yeah, you know, he was just a guy that you uh, just wanted to go hang out with. Yeah. Hmm.
2: That's pretty interesting, man. I mean, Mike Kelton's a pretty uh, influential person in my life too, and yes, sir. it's 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 a uh, there's on you know I used to compare him to Dad in a way that he would change the room when he walked into it, and there's only a few people that have that type of ability. And he is the kind of guy too that has he can be that he the person he was for you in that moment. He's that person for so many people yeah. at, at the same time. I yeah. don't know how he has, you know, I got enough going on in my own life yeah. that I don't even I don't even know how he finds the time to be that for other people. Um but it's pretty uh it's pretty apparent that he is a special individual. So what do you think was the the heyday for you when you were Ganassi? What was what, what was peak?
1: Well, I guess a couple of different stints. I know uh, I know we'd won in '99. We won Loudon with Joe, yeah. And in 2000, we didn't have a very good year. Obviously, losing Kenny, but we didn't perform on the racetrack like we wanted to. And then Chip come on and uh, and brought Andy Graves with him. Mm-hmm. And me and Andy were team managers. And uh, that was that was like a big inspiration for me because I was looking for all this technology to come in. You know, all I'd heard about Chip Ganassi Racing was being engineer driven. You know, and I'm like, okay, they're going to, I'm going to really learn a lot here, and we're going to learn how to be better racers and build better cars and and all this stuff. And and um, immediately, me and Andy hit it off like really really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he did his deal, I did my deal, and you know he had responsibilities and i had responsibilities and 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 it worked it worked really good and um but chip brought a lot more resources in we were able to you know build a lot more new cars you know with the support of dodge that was a big deal and you know getting getting motors from ernie uh from ernie elliot uh, just just everything was like wow this is this is really good and uh, i know the first time we went and tested we had taken a Ford that we had built as a test car at Sabco and we converted it into a Dodge and uh, went and tested with a Ford motor at Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And and Starlin's like, wow, this this is going to be fun. We actually, I think we won the 125 with Starlin that year in really Ganassi's first race. Um, so, no, that was uh, that was a good period in 01 and 02. Yeah. I think we won five races those two years and... In O one, we finished third in points. And actually, in O one, if they had to chase, in O one, Sterling would have won a championship. Right. And uh, because he got the most the most points during chase mm-hmm. the chase round. And in O two, obviously, he led the points for the whole year or for three fourths of the year. He broke his neck. So yeah. those those two years so, were good.
5: That's right.
2: Yeah. So um, he broke his neck in a crash at Kansas. Yeah. How? How? I, I mean, he. He had to miss a couple races, and I mean, this must have been a severe injury. Like, cause I mean, Dad, you know, I, I've heard of you know drivers racing hurt. Yeah. Right. He's sitting there for the first time in his life with a real shot at winning a championship. Yeah. And was there any? Was there
1: any talk of him of how could he race this from, car? There's a lot of talk from his side. Right. You know, he was willing to go to Talladega. He's like, just put me in a car. I'm, I'm going to race. I'm not giving this yeah. up. And um, NASCAR wouldn't really, you they know. They knew too much about his yeah. injury. Yeah, it was too severe. And, really? And he wound up sitting out the whole rest of yeah. the year. And he had a halo on yeah. for, for a long time. So it was bad.
2: But then y- yeah. y'all won a race yeah. with
4: McMurray yeah, were, as yeah. a backup mm-hmm. driver, right? Yeah.
2: So let me ask you this. So <laughs> this, um, I don't I want to in that year, y'all are winning a bunch of races. Mm hmm. We go to I want I've always wanted to know this, and don't I don't know anything else other than what I'm going to ask you. You remember remember the driver's meeting at Martinsville, where Ma, where Mike or Mike Helton stood up there and said something about traction control. Who had traction control? I don't know. Why did they talk about
1: traction? control? I don't control? know. We were accused of it because yes. of Ganassi being technology in and yeah. IndyCar. But again, did I could, they think it was y'all? They were. Some people thought we had traction control, but yeah. to be honest, so
2: much so that Mike Helton would stand yeah. This is unheard of. This is unheard of for uh, the sanction body to even mention uh, a specific around, yeah. you know, in, around any kind of rule breaking, right? Yeah.
1: Well, again, we've talked about breaking rules, cheating, bending rules. Yeah. I call it having to feed my kids and my family. Mm-hmm. But, again, there's things in racing that you know not to mess with. Yeah. And there's nobody in their right mind dumb enough to run traction control. Yeah. If your race team here got caught with traction control, it'd be the end of your race team. Probably would, yeah. Right?
2: Yeah, it'd probably be, yeah. What did Mike Helton say in the meeting? (laughs) He said, we don't, we don't, he's, I think it was basically like, we don't know what's, who's got it. We're not saying, we don't really know if they had a part or a piece or something. I don't know what the hell they had. They had a thing and they're like, if anybody has this, you are in big damn trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that is unheard of. Wow. I, yeah. And um, so y'all
4: are all looking around going, Yeah. Hey, yeah. Well, I
2: mean, I, you know, <laughs> they were winning the most races. So I I, I I everybody just assumed in that moment it kind of implicated them yeah. unfairly in a way because, like I say, NASCAR never stood up in a driver's meeting and went, hey, here's this piece, and if somebody has this, we, we know who you are kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. We know, we, and that was in a, that was the weirdest thing because it's never happened since. I don't remember it ever happened before. No. And they were the most successful team. And so basically, if you, if you walked in there not having any idea about that, you walked out of that driver's meeting going, damn, Ganassi's got traction control. control.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
2: Goodness gracious. And I bet that was what y'all heard for the rest of the year.
1: Oh, yeah. And... How frustrating was that? It was pretty frustrating to yeah. be honest with you, knowing that you didn't have it. Yeah. So um, that so you had that going on, and then
2: Sterling is sitting in a great position and gets hurt. Yeah. Um, but a little bit of a highlight, like Mike mentioned, is Mick Murray comes out and wins the race in mm-hmm. sub uh, uh, at Charlotte. Big damn deal, you know. And J- and Jamie, in my mind, at this point, is is like this hot prospect, mm-hmm. right? You guys feel like y'all have, y'all got to – you know, you got Sterling, who's sort of on the back end of his career, mm-hmm. and here's a great little driver that's going to keep this thing going. And he did. Well, yeah. What was the relationship with
4: McMurray? He wasn't on contract at that point, was he? Uh, was that like maybe to the Finch deal or something? No. Uh,
1: start, uh, actually, we had hired McMurray to drive the next year at Richmond. He had been tabbed. And oh, that's He had right. been tabbed as a driver to drive that's the, right. To drive the 42 the next year. Yeah. And then um, – Sterling gets hurt, and we, Spencer was driving our car then. Second car. And um, I tried to talk Chip into putting Spencer in it so we could win the owner's championship. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a businessman. And Chip's like, How stupid would I look if I hire a guy and he's good enough to drive my car next year, but he ain't good enough to finish the year this year? I'm going to look like a fool in front of that sponsor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, never thought about it that way he said <laughs> that's why you're not an owner
2: <laughs> what was it like with uh Spencer uh, Mike had some experiences with him Mike Mike and him worked together for a while yeah what was it like having it was him that year that yeah. that was my
4: first year in the sport working on the Finch side yeah. but, but because of working with Finch and Spencer yeah. I you know I remember being over in the cup garage a lot yeah. with you guys so. I
1: love Spencer you know I knew him before I was the one that actually kind of talked Chip into hiring him, I thought he would fit in perfect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I enjoyed working with Spencer a lot. Yeah. But that didn't end up uh,
4: lasting even to the end of the year.
1: No, they made it to the end of the year. But I, I
4: just seem to remember – so was it because, I mean, like, yeah. if, if eventually that ended up where Jimmy and and Chip were in a court battle almost, weren't they? I, I remember there were lawyers hired. Yeah, or something. I don't.
1: I don't remember that, but I do know Spencer run the last. The last he ran all the races because he had a really good car at Homestead and That's got right. in a wreck.
4: That's right. That's right. That Target program is also that had sort of come over from the IndyCar deal, right? Or his yeah. relationship with that. Mm-hmm. So I've I always imagined that. You tell me. I just I always felt like Chip had a lot of pressure on that Target car to perform, um, but uh, you know. But then, oh man, the St- Sterling was on a rail that year. Yeah. He was incredible,
2: yeah. and then he got hurt. So how did things end for you at you know, Chips? It chips.
1: Well, actually, in 01 uh, in and 02, we run good, and then we got really creative and really uh, reinvented the wheel, and we uh, went down a path that where we wasn't very good anymore, and it took a long time to ever get back. And it took all the way, and then uh, Andy, Andy left and Steve come on board, who I, I got along great with mm-hmm. and enjoyed working with. And uh, it took us a while to, to get it back on track. And then in 09, we started getting back better again. And then uh, I think Juan made the chase that year. And in 2010, we got McMurray back. And we wound up that year winning four races and sitting on seven poles. Mm-hmm. So we had a heck of a good year. And then in 2011, we wrecked, we blew up, or we got caught speeding on pit road or wrecked each other. Mm-hmm on multiple occasions and uh, had a horrible year. And Chip is not a very patient guy either. And so uh, myself and Steve got, re- uh, we were not re-signed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where'd you go? I went to NASCAR. It just took me a while to get there. <laughs> Immediately when I left Ganassi or when I wasn't working there anymore, I'd realized, and I talked to Mike Helton before a little bit. I realized that, you know what, I've I've been in CUP for 30 years. I've raced my whole life, but I've spent 30 years in the cup garage. Mm-hmm. It's time to do something different. I want to go to work for NASCAR. And so uh, I was in the process of talking with Mike and trying to put something together. And a friend of mine, Mike Hiltman, had, uh, he had a little t- little cup team, number 33 car, uh, Circle Sport, I think was it. And he called and he said, man, are you doing anything right now? And I'm like, no, I'm waiting on his job to open up. He said, can you come help me for a little bit? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be glad to. And I went, and I had a wonderful time working with him and his sons and and a little family deal. And we basically was a start and park, and we raced a little bit. But, you know, I got to finish that year, and then, uh, then Christy got terminally ill. And I was talking with Mike, and I said, <clears throat> I'm not doing anything. I'm not going to travel until she passes. Or gets better and so that that took a little while and then then uh, basically once she passed away I called Mike and said I'm ready to do something and he said we'll have something figured out here within the next little bit yep
2: and so you um mentioned all you know you're traveling over 40 weeks a, a year uh for various different series what is what technically do you do? Like when you get to the racetrack, what's your ro- what's your role?
1: Well, <clears throat> basically, I'm the technical director for for all the touring, mm-hmm. and each series, whether it be the Arc Menard series or the ARCA East or ARCA West, or the Wheelan Modified Tour or the Pinty series in Canada, they each have a technical director. Yep, and so I go to. I go to most of all the Arc Menards races and I go to at least half of all the rest of the other races. And I just go there and basically I'm there to help the technical director and, and, you know, uh, from the Arc side, help Ron Drager with anything they need or, or Grayling, or or anybody like that. Just, yeah. I just try to, I just try to help, and then, and then I'm the one out of that group that represents that's at the, at the R and D center. I got you. So I help with rules. Uh, you know, when we dyno motors, I'm at R and D center. Just anything related to the technical aspect of the touring series through the R and D or through the R and D center, I'm involved in. How long have
2: you been doing that?
1: Uh, this is my t- going on my tenth year. What? Yeah, you've been doing
2: this 10 years yeah oh my gosh where does time go
1: i told you i take one-year deals but most of them (laughs) last for a long (laughs) time Oh gosh
4: 10 one-year deals right that's what you did
2: well what's next this is this This is is it it. yeah yeah i don't think he's slowing down i think he's just i I don't i don't think he wants to yeah 65 years old yeah feeling like you're how old
1: No, well, I don't know, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I don't feel like what I think 65-year-old people should feel. (laughs) I mean, But I stay active and I stay on the go. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to – I made a commitment uh, 10 years ago to Mike Helton that I would do it for 15 years, just more or less as a joke. And so we talked about it at Talladega a month or two ago, and I said, well, you remember that 15-year deal? He said, yeah, you're about a decade into it, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, but – you know, for sure, I've got five more years. I'd yeah. like to make it 10. Okay. And uh, to be quite honest with you, if I quit today, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. Do you
2: ever get to the cup races?
1: I watch every – I don't think they can run a cup race on Sunday if I'm not traveling and I'm not on the couch watching mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I watch every one of them. I don't go to any of them because, you know, You're busy. if it's a conjunction race, I'll be there until until we complete our event and yeah. I leave.
2: Yeah. So you were over at Bristol – I was at Bristol Thursday,
1: Thursday for the ARCA race, and then I run back home and jumped on a plane Friday and went to Riverhead for the modified race.
4: How about that? He's getting after it. Yep. I wanted to tell you something about Tony, because I don't think Tony will tell it about himself. So, you know, when we announced that he was going to be on the show, uh, Fatback called me and goes, i got to tell you something about Tony Glover. And he goes, because he ain't going to say it, but Tony Glover's everybody's friend. And that's like, that, that, that's what you are to the, you know, an entire sport. Well, he goes. You know, there was a time I guess when Fatback's back was uh, was hurt, and he couldn't and he couldn't move around. And he said, Tony, who was his neighbor, would drive him everywhere, would be his chauffeur basically, just because he's a good guy. And even I believe you took them to the hospital. To the hospital was when his wife was pregnant. Is that it, or was it for uh, for Fatback's?
1: No, to the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. He told me. He said, "Man, my back's bad. I don't think I can drive her." I said, just give me a call, and he called me one Friday morning. He called me Pop Pop. He mm-hmm. said, Pop Pop, it's time to go. I said, I'll be there in 15 minutes when I get out of the shower.
4: I think that that speaks to who, we're, who we have at this table. Is Yeah. It the, the kind of guy that would, you know, when people say give the shirt off your back, I think you're probably one of the few people to actually do it, right? And um, that, that says
1: something about well, you. Well, I've been in this sport for a long time, and I don't think I have very many enemies, and I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah.
2: I'd say that that's that's absolutely
1: true. Um,
2: everybody that I ever talked to or any time your name ever came up, um, it was always in a positive light and people talk, people just seemed to really, you know, how you mentioned Kenny was one of those guys that you just wanted to be around. Yeah. I think that that's who you are too. And, uh, well, I lot, appreciate that. Everything. Yeah. Everything I ever heard about you was always people bragging, uh, people talking about how great a guy you are and how much fun you are to be around. And you're good at your job. You know you had some you had some great success. Uh, people not only appreciated you as a as a friend and a person, they respected you for your ability. Um, and I think you absolutely ought to be ought to be proud. But uh, I love the fact that you're still out there, still digging. Because <laughs> man, I'm telling you, when you know all of your generation is 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 my generation's heroes, right? Mm-hmm. You and all the people that I. It, everybody that i saw in the garage when i was young those are my heroes and and you don't want to and you want them to live forever right yeah you want them and the fact that there's a few of you still out there making some things happen and keeping things going in the right direction particularly at the grassroots level like like you know you know how important that is yeah. Um, so we can't thank you
1: enough. Well, this is my golf game. Yeah. You know, like I say, I don't have to go to races; I get to go. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest with you: none of this would have ever been possible without the people that inspired me. Like you said, your generation. I mean, I had some guys inspire me when I was a young man and helped me along and brought me along to get me to where I, you know, to where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll I'll never forget those guys. Yep.
2: Yeah. Well, we appreciate you, Tony, for coming in here this morning and giving us some time. Tony Glover on the Dale Jr. Download. You know, Mike, whether I've been in the garage, right, as a driver or in the studio as a member of the media, the biggest lesson I've learned over the years is that we are all better off with an ally, a friend, a partner. My favorite part of the download has always been the opportunity it gives me to connect with such a wide range of people. They love racing as much as I do. And it means so much to me that when we leave the guest segment, I leave it with a feeling that I can call each and every guest on the download a true ally. Thank you, Ally, for your continued support of the show and the entire Dirty Mo Media team.
3: Well, that being said, we are live on YouTube for Ask You Here.
2: (laughs) all right hey everybody uh good to see everybody uh thanks for tuning in for the ask junior portion of the show um you guys have been sending in your questions to xfinity racing on twitter um let's get to these questions
3: uh this first one here comes from brent jordan he says the biggest surprise or disappointment when you saw the 2023 nascar schedule
2: uh let's see um don't xfinity cars go to sonoma now they do, yeah. Isn't
0: that crazy? That is crazy.
2: Uh, that would be fun, actually. I think that would be a fun race to run.
3: Milwaukee's back on the truck yeah, schedule, Milwaukee.
2: also. Yeah, I was surprised by that. Surprised by that in a good way. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly where I land on this Chicago street course. I think it's absolutely something we need to try, um, and uh, I'm I'm anxious to see how that goes. I think this car is is built for stuff like that, so it's probably going to be. Um, entertaining and and challenging for the drivers. It would be nice to see them in a new in a, in a new you know environment that they are unfamiliar with. So um, I think that'll go well. Did you guys know that the very one? Well, I think the very first automotive race in the United States was held in Chicago. That's right. And that they will actually race on a part of the same road or this there's a little bit of a stretch of race of of the proposed street course that is actually what they ran on the og
3: course yeah that's pretty cool
2: so they ran like like third like 10 30 miles up north turned around and then came back south um and finished this this race back in you know 120 years ago whatever it was and but yeah, they they're, they went right down the same road that we're gonna actually have our. And I don't even know that when NASCAR created this whole thing that they even knew that. Yeah, isn't that such a coincidence? That's wild. Um, but I'm that hopefully they lean into that, you know, that connection uh, to 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 this race. But I don't know, you know, obviously North Wolfsboro was a great thing, but I kind of was in the middle of all that, um, and. Uh, Everything else was pretty straightforward. No,
3: I think it's pretty. Yeah, there's still the one-off weekend for Cup.
2: You the um, the uh, Road America, you know. Uh, yeah, that's sad. A lot of people are sad about that. I mean, I was take it or leave it. I'll be honest with you, I wasn't all that enamored with um, Cup racing there. The Xfinity race there, I like because it because it's been done for so long. It kind of feels normal to be going there, and we're still going to go there with the yeah. Xfinity series but i the cup race was kind of so new that i didn't i didn't feel like i lost anything you know when they took when they changed that uh
3: did you see this is just continuing on chicago street course that there's a chicago art museum that's putting up a fight yeah. because they're scared that the motors are going to shake the paintings yeah. and the art <laughs>
2: Yeah, so well, you know that's that, that's a thing. That that's a real.
4: A, that's a legit thing. I yeah. mean, you're you're <laughs> yeah. laughing about it, but that no, I know. The, I would be concerned if I, <laughs> I. I was. I guess if you're the art guy, you're, if you're concerned, the art guy, right? Yeah. You're like, hey, man, what's, that's what's a lot of money that I'm sure is probably at risk? You know,
3: you'd be buying a lot yeah. of bubble wrap the weekend of the Chicago Street Course race. Well, yeah. if that Monet gets rattled a little bit,
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I laughed when I heard about that, and I might have even said something on Twitter about it, uh, but. That that th- this is the part about the Chicago street course that is sort of bugging me a little bit. Is like, like ha- a lot of people in that at Chicago aren't are not like happy or excited about it. They're like.
3: It's not getting a lot of local support. Like I don't know anyone from Chicago that's excited about the street. (laughs) Yeah, everyone else is. Yeah, but Chicago is not.
2: They're kind of like, well, I don't know, man. Is this going to be a good thing or not? They're not really like embracing it. Uh, At least that the you know the media that you read about is Mm -hmm. always there's just it's just a sort of stream of concern, right? And uh, I don't, you know, I I don't know to think about that. That kind of takes the wind out of the sails for me. Mm
3: um this next one uh just continuing on the conversation kind of actually north wilkesboro comes from tyler bachman he said do you think they'll add safer barriers to north wilkesboro oh yeah if so how do you think that will affect because that's going to take some track surface away from the racetrack yeah
2: i think it'll be okay because um i i've been in conversations with uh with the powers to be uh, that, that that have the control uh about that very thing uh when they add safer barrier to bristol for example it altered that racetrack in a bad way uh when they added safer barrier to darlington and especially in turns three and four it it changed the racetrack in a negative way um anytime you know you anytime you run on a racetrack for years and then they they add the safer barrier and that takes away several feet of racetrack it it's it's you you have to change what you're doing you don't like that um now we've gotten to the point to where we run we've ran so long with the safer barrier at Darlington you don't even think about it and you don't see it as a negative but right when it happened the first few four or five races you're like man I really wish I could get that extra couple of feet uh up against the wall to be able to you know position the car for the exit or whatever every time they every everywhere that they added the safer barrier you you had to adjust your line or you had to change something about what you did and um that was not a not something you you like to do but with uh north willsboro so the the way that you run that racetrack especially coming off a turn two you don't use the whole track like you're not sliding a lot of times when you're coming out of a corner man you're sliding out to the wall and you're using every bit of racetrack and throttle and all that and you really you know um you really never get in that position on the corner exit of turn two at north willsboro so I think if they add the safer barrier uh, around this particular racetrack, it might narrow up the exit of turn four in a bad way. Uh, but that, the track kind of opens back up down the hill into turn one. I think you'll be okay all the way into one through turn two. You won't really feel like you're getting crowded or shallowed up off of two. You're not going to feel like you're missing all that extra you know, foot of racetrack down the back straightaway. But I think it will narrow up the exit of four as you come up out of the hole right before the flag stand that's going to be a little shallow there but i'm i'm you know i'm i'm betting that since most of the people that are going to race there have never been on this track to begin with they're not going to even know or care it's not going to bother them one bit it's 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 sort of when you get used to stu- doing something in a certain way and now there's this this you know this this hurdle or object in the way and having to adjust what you're doing, your line and all, that was that was always tough at all these tracks when the safe barrier started coming into play. But I think it will be a no no problem.
3: A lot of people uh, tuning in on YouTube are complimenting your Marty Houston shirt.
2: Yeah, it's Andy's brother, Tommy's son. Um, I, tri- I don't know if I've worn this one or not. I couldn't decide. I couldn't remember whether I've worn this shirt uh, on the show or not. But I got a big, long rack of all these throwback shirts and just kind of thumb through them and pull one out
3: play roulette on which one and then last question here comes from mlj fire dragon 747 that sounds like a high school hotmail address that's alex <laughs> yeah it's alex it says what do you think of that brandon jones kid especially being the new guy for the number nine car
2: uh i'm excited about it to be honest with you i know that um there was, you know, there was a lot of uh, positive comments on social media about it, but also some people questioning uh, the move. But then he goes out there and almost puts it, you know, almost gets uh, around Noah to win the race this past weekend at Bristol to kind of prove that was so fitting for me standing there watching that race, going our current driver and then right behind him putting the pressure on is our new driver. This couldn't be any better, having made the announcement that week than to see them two duking it out at the end of that race and um part of me wanted to see Brandon get a little aggressive with Noah but at the same time um you know that's not really Brandon's style Steve Letard appreciated that he ran him clean uh and but it was fitting cuz you know I know there was some great uh there was some great feedback on social media about it but also people but people are going to have opinions about everything and to see him go out there and 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 run right on the bumper of that nine car. I'm like, man, this is awesome. So, when I, um, you know, when 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 I think about making a change or when there's a change to be made, uh, say you've got a crew chief that's retiring or or you're you know you got a great relationship with this person and they're a great crew chief, you know, and for example, Steve's a good example of this. All right, so Steve's going to go do TV. If I, I if I would have done anything to keep Steve on as my crew chief right but he was going to do tv and so i told steve i said hey man you got to help me find the guy that comes in and replaces you and we've got to make an upgrade right and it was weird to say that to his face right because in my mind he was exactly what i needed and he was the perfect person for that position but i was going to say look anytime we have a void or in a hole to fill you've got to try to improve the hot you know on the on the higher right And um, you've got to feel like that you're, you know, you got to feel like that you're trying to, you know, bring something in there that can improve or be better. And also, when it comes to drivers, you got to feel like that you can take that driver and make him better. We've seen Brandon race in the Xfinity Series for years, and. Everybody might think that they know what Brandon is, who Brandon is, where his ability lies, right? Where They could probably handicap him and say, this is, this is what you're going to get with this guy. But we got to feel like, or I've got to feel like, that there's more that he hasn't realized or he hasn't tapped into. He's going to have all of the things that he learned from RCR and from Gibbs, and then he's going to come here and get new tools. And what are those new tools going to do? Right there, how are those new tools—the things that we're going to be able to provide to him that he's never had before—how are those things going to make him a better race car driver? And how can we make sure that that happens? And so, I think he's a great little driver, and I think he can even be better. And so, that's our—that's our, that's our objective. That's our goal and our objective is to like to to find that other five or that two percent that he hasn't found yet. And um, you know, when I was racing in the eight car, the Bud Eight car, right? Uh, there was a lot of me that I, didn't, I hadn't tapped into yet. There was, I, there was more that I could do that I could be, that I could become. And, um, you know, I was only half the race car driver that I developed into going to Hendrick and understanding how they do things and learning all kinds of new ways of approaching stuff. It really changes you when you get in a new culture, different culture. Um, not that one's better than the other, but they're different. They're so different everything that the way Gibbs does things is going to be completely different than the way we do them. And that's going to expose Brandon to some new thought processes and some, and hopefully it's going to um, show up on the racetrack.
3: Perfect. Well, that is it for this week's Xfinity Ask Junior.
2: Yeah. appreciate all the great questions. Um, if you haven't tried Xfinity x X-Fi, uh it's great stuff. I've been a customer for, for a couple years now, had no issues. I haven't even, you know, I don't I haven't even uh looked in a couple of months at my security cameras uh, on our vacation house, man, but just being able to pull up the app and look right away and know that because your internet's working is the reason why you can see everything going on at that house uh, is a great feeling. It's pretty impressive that it's just up all the time. I've never had any issues whatsoever. I expected a little bit of drop here and there uh, having to go re go having to run down there and reboot the router and get everything going again, but it's uh it's not giving me any issues. Uh, anyways, thanks to Xfinity for everything they do for us, everything they do for NASCAR. Uh, they're a great supporter of, of the entire industry. Thanks to uh, all y'all's support for everything y'all do to make this, uh, you know, make Dirty Mo click. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great week. All right, man, that's a great show, Mike. 400 in the books. 400 Here's in the books. Here's to another 400.
4: That's right. That's right. Congratulations on that, and everybody in the team that we have here. And man, fun show. I love Tony yeah. Glover. Tony's
2: great. Uh, glad to have him on. We've got a few more shows before we wrap up this season, and uh, pretty excited about all the guests we got coming on. Um, but anyways, everybody, uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week on the Dale Junior Download. Check out Dirty Mode Media. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.